0: coffee yeah. this morning <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it sometimes hello and welcome to another incredible episode of the Paranautica podcast I am Coop and with me as always is the man and the legend who gives the word legend the meaning we've come to know
1: our very own Scott <laughs> yeah they actually recently updated the the uh Britannica you know I'm in there now it Exactly. legend just kidding, guys. Scott, happy to be here with you. And with us is a special guest. We'll let him introduce himself right now. I,
2: I think I'm a legend, but uh, that might just be in my own head at this point. But um,
1: <laughs> You're a legend. You're a legend.
2: <laughs> well, well, thank you guys for reaching out. My name is uh, Travis Mateer, and I've just been actually waiting and waiting and waiting for a contact like you guys uh, reaching out to, to be like, hey, you were on like these podcasts a couple of years ago. Um, what's going on? And I was like, uh, a lot. And so I kind of <laughs> jumped pretty quickly at this opportunity. So I, I thank you for inviting me. Hey, you're welcome,
0: man. Thank you for coming on. And like, I didn't think you'd reach out or respond to me as soon as you did. Um, really quick question. When I talked to you on the phone a few days ago, you sounded like you were uh,
2: on the run. Are you running away from anyone? Are you, Is someone chasing you? <laughs> I'm going to be uh, relocating and I'm trying to frame it as an opportunity um, because some of the things that are happening recently in my life are not necessarily of my my chosen timeline uh, but I think this 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 opportunity that I have the ideas that I've been sitting on for a while I'm gonna actually get a chance to act on them so uh, kind of like Gordon White um, I think that's his name the guy that does rune soup he was talking about in a recent podcast how some unexpected challenges led to what he was kind of hoping for in the end in terms of what his 2023 assessment was for where you wanted to get to. So sometimes you don't know what things are going to force you to to do what you Absolutely. need to do. And so I'm just going to frame it in that way. I'm kind of running a little bit. <laughs> all right,
0: man. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you just got to get that change. Um, you're huge in synchronicity. So I'd like to know about,
2: you mentioned synchronicity is like the basis of your work and your research. So how, how does that all tie in? For a while, I've considered synchronicities, this weird, almost like sort of language that we can't necessarily put our finger on. Um, some, the, one of the easy ways to think about it is a meaningful coincidence. That's what Carl Jung def- defined it as, but uh, people like to say, well, you're, you're, it's meaning, it's meaning that you're on the right path and like everything's coming into alignment. And, f- uh, I, in some ways, especially recently, synchronicities have meant, uh, warnings for me. So okay. the name Lisa, for example, told me not to go to Spokane. So I'm not going to go to Spokane. Um, and uh, so but synchronicities are still very important. I i see a lot of the synchro out there. Um, uh, Michael Wan, Christopher Knowles, Mark Reeves, who does the booking for Sam Tripoli, and was yeah. the reason you guys reached out to me because you heard me on Sam Tripoli two years yep. ago. Well, I was on two years ago, right? And uh, yeah. I, I've since maybe gotten such a huge head because of this insane, crazy synchronicity that I thought was going to be easier to bring out from Missoula, Montana. But there's been the weirdest of blocks, and part part of my goal today is to talk about some of the challenges in a not like, you know, butt hurt kind of, you know, ego ego hurt kind of way, right. um, but to say like, it wasn't the right time, and I'm trying to understand what the timing of the synchronicity stuff is, because um, at certain points, I really have almost lost my mind.
1: I was just going to say, that's totally fair. I mean, it, the there's a lot of stories out there where <coughs> these roadblocks not only become formative moments, but lead to that pushing through, so that you know, by the end of the process, you're exactly where you want to be. So yeah, it's just a journey in progress, right?
2: Right. And and I'll, I'll really quickly kind of say where I came to Missoula, Montana from. I'll try and, and do a quick sort of introduction. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because in, in 2000, you know, I was a pretty young person and I, I moved here with my girlfriend. She then became my wife. She's now my ex-wife. So a lot of things can happen in 23 years. Um, when, when I moved here in Missoula, Montana, there was a hell's angel kind of showdown in the streets, which ended up just being locals getting drunk and having a little riot. And, uh, there was fires in the Bitterroot Valley. Um, this was sort of after the WTO riots in Seattle. So the region was kind of like amped up. And, uh, and so Missoula, Montana was the place I was going to finish college. And I went to the university of Montana for creative writing And I graduated 2003, Uh, Did what a lot of people do, worked in the food industry with my college degree for a couple years. I got married um, and started to kind of take myself more seriously as like having to do something in this town instead of like serve burritos to hungover college kids at Food for Thought. (laughs) I I decided I should probably do something. And so I did an AmeriCorps Vista where I was like the non-trad. I was like the older person where it's, you know, doing a year of service where you're placed at at a certain location. And my location was the Pavarello Center. At the time, it was 2008, uh, so Barack Obama was elected. I teared up having seen him at the (laughs) in the arena. I feel like an idiot. Oh man! I know. I you know hey I, I was a true believer I believed in all this stuff like housing
1: <laughs> I think we all were at the yeah. time I mean I, I, you're not the only one that was swept up by the energy and yeah. the promises yeah. and as happens right. you know when you start to understand a little bit more of those things and yeah I think yeah. <laughs> I'm sensing we all kind of had the same reaction in the end. Well, little too. did I
2: know Montana <laughs> Democrats were very um th- they were taking their their role in Montana very seriously although they weren't very effective in winning races outside of Missoula but they decided. Um, as I was evolving my political beliefs, uh, I crossed quite a few Montana Democrats. And so I started blogging in 2010 under the name lizard. And then I started under the name William skink. Uh, skink is a li- type of lizard. It's all very clever. Um, I had a blog called reptile dysfunction, but then I said that out <laughs> loud to too many ladies and they're like looking at me like,
0: <laughs> Oh man,
2: I'm clever when you can read it on the head banner thing, but, right. um, and so 2010, I would started at the uh, 420 Blackbirds. We got some notoriety because Jay Girl, Jackson Hole, Wyoming girl, caught some content from Kirsten Pabst. and Kirsten papps is still our county attorney. She's been uh, notorious because of her role in John Krakauer's book, talking about rape culture in Missoula. So John Krakauer, who did Into the Wild and all kinds of all kinds of stuff, and uh, and so we had a little taste of archiving what is happening locally and come fast forward to I think it was 2016 2015 2016 this guy named Bernie Sanders was trying to galvanize support and I was so cynical at that point I was calling him him a sheepdog and I I think I trolled the the owner of 420 on Twitter Jay Stevens and he realized that I was I was outside of the pen on local politics and so he shut me out (laughs) <laughs> it yeah. was very frustrating. The yeah, Missoula Independent so. wrote yeah. something about the local blogosphere. And they never reached out to me. So once again, my big ego is getting butt hurt left and right. But um, I'm very persistent and started, you know, the Reptile Dysfunction blog. Renamed it when I decided three years ago to kind of do this full-time self-finance style, hoping to get money along the way. But, you know, we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs>
0: but, uh, That's difficult. That's difficult.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, but it, it was it was, an, it was interesting. I've learned a lot in trying to take a information more, like, sort of counterinsurgency, counterinsurgency style against the local infrastructure. Um, I didn't know at the time, like I was at the Zootown Arts Community Center in 2020, I didn't know that the building had sort of been purchased with the help of Nick Chokota, who is a uh, local oligarch who moved from Wisconsin and bought up the Wilma building. A lot of music venues. He he owns Logjam Presents, and he recently did a big deal with Live Nation. Um, I think it's Live Nation, the, the big one, the international one. Um, but so there's a lot of crazy like power dynamics, and I decided to go up against it with really no institutional backing and no funding other than my own resources and no real support
0: on your side either. Like that's, I'm reading your blogs. Um, some of the comments are like, holy crap, this, these guys don't like this guy. But
2: Well, well so my, one of my analogies, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but one of my analogies, my kids used to play this game called Smashy Road on the on the iPad. And it's really a simple pixel game where you're running into vehicles and the car, the sirens are coming and you get, you know, a couple sirens and then the SWAT and then, the helicopters and the tanks and I'm at like level four where the helicopters are coming at me and I, I pissed <laughs> off everyone at this point, even, uh, <laughs> my parents church. Oh wow. So, oh yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting, but again, um, I'm, I'm, I'm showing what, uh, what not to do in terms of taking it to the local infrastructure. Cause I hear all these national podcasts still talk about, oh, we have to get to know who our sheriff is and we have to get to know city council and go to these meetings. And I'm like, I've done that for a couple of years now and would you like to know what's happened to me? It's like, I have the local newspaper literally uh, associating my name with uh, extremist speech and white supremacy. That's what the Missoulian has done. I have Martin Kidston, who created the Missoula current after being a Montana Democrat spokesperson. Uh, He misreported that I yelled at city council when it was the person behind me that actually yelled. And of course, Martin likes to watch via zoom. So he's not in the, in the actual chambers. And and so mm. I had to learn the hard way by talking to a lawyer that I am too famous to sue any of these people or institutions or uh, organizations. Um, I'm what's called a limited purpose public figure, which is pretty awesome. That so sounds even if awesome. I had money, uh, no, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not famous actually at all. No one really knows me. I've, I'm infamous. I'm probably on some. There Maybe all of
0: them. Hey, we're, we're bringing her name out right here, though. I mean, this Why is no? going to just... put you on a couple of levels. Yeah,
1: it'll be the not the not so limited <laughs> anymore. There was a, a woman
0: who was gaslighting you, saying that you were off your medication. She was slandering you. This is a state representative. Oh, she, she was... was slandering you.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, You know, in a, I definitely will try and uh, appear coherent as I'm trying to talk about uh, all this stuff. Um, so I want to talk about my Philip K. Dick number, which is 1320. But before we get to that, Um, so Ellie Hill is interesting because Ellie is, she needs to be known as just kind of Ellie like Madonna because her last name has changed a few times. It's Ellie Smith, Ellie Hill, Ellie, Boldman Hill, Boldman. It's, it's difficult to track actually with search engines. And, um, I I use search. Why the hell she changed her name so much? She's been married a couple different times. And so, okay. Okay. She was the director of the Pavarello center and she, she used the Pavarello center from my perspective to launch her political career. She was brought in by Susan Hay-Patrick, the executive director of United Way. Both of these people are very unhappy with me now and consider me very threatening. And I've heard they're actually pretty scared behind the scenes of me showing up with my bullhorn. Um, I've shown <laughs> up on public streets with my bullhorn, and I guess I've been videotaped. Oh, and shit, I, I freak man. people out. with Getting some Alex Jones style. Truly. With, uh, with, with yeah. some fun performance. I, I want to become a performance artist and make it funny. Yeah, absolutely. Not everyone's laughing here in Missoula, Montana. But, um, but Ellie, Ellie, I found out behind the scenes was telling people, um, that I was off medications. You know, I got off alcohol three and a half years ago and that's been awesome. Um, and I also heard from a, from a reporter who has since left the state, um, you know, that the stuff I was doing into, I was looking into with blue line development and these public private partnerships and the homeless industrial complex, that's what really freaked him out because, um, I, I've not only shown how their tax increment financing schemes benefit the select few in this town amidst our housing crisis, which is now totally out of control. Um, but I've shown how they're connected very incestuously oftentimes with, with the private sector. Um, and it's just getting crazier and crazier. So, uh, it's been fun to expose this stuff to some degree. Um, but now I'm going to relocate and, and take my library on the road.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you're at the point where I mean, that's absolutely necessary because kind of to speak to something you brought up earlier with these people who are saying, oh, you know, we're needing to get to know these public entities and whatnot. That works up until the moment you offer a dissenting opinion. And then suddenly they don't give a shit about what you have to say anymore. The doors close. You get written off. They do their best to undermine you. In your case. Oh, medication. How easy is it for someone with a public platform to come out and say something like that one time, and everybody's exactly. like, "Oh, that guy's crazy. He's on medic, medication," you know? Especially when the media uh, is controlled. So frustrating. It's been, it's been
2: it's been funny though because I've been so difficult for them to handle because of my seven years working at the homeless shelter, and I know a lot of law enforcement. I have a history of um actually saying we need to support law enforcement in in ways that's very counterintuitive to uh, to my long hippie looking hair. Um, because I see what happens when they're under resourced, they are, they are more seduced by black market revenue streams when they're not getting properly funded themselves. Um, they're dealing with the non-prosecution that's not getting the media attention of county attorneys and city attorneys. And so I, I actually still have a soft spot in my heart for law enforcement and that comes through when I talk to them directly. And so even though I'm doing weird, crazy things like talking to the Shoshone County Sheriff's office about Mineral County, throwing them under the bus when there was a shootout in St. Regis um they tend to tell me things they probably shouldn't just because i'm like hey guys it's fucking crazy out there and i know that you guys know in ways that the rest of the public has no clue and then i give them enough on the ground reality uh checks that they're like oh this guy knows the shit i'm like yeah i've seen the shit um <laughs> what so, what was the shooting
0: in in Re- in st regis
2: oh this is a fun one so there was a robbery it happened in eastern washington uh, for people that aren't familiar with the Pacific Northwest, I-90 is our drug human trafficking uh, thoroughfare. So it's a the fun place where the Tri-Cities, Yakima area, there's all kinds of drug stuff happening. And, you know, sometimes people freak out and they want to rob some shit and steal some shit. And then they get in a car and they drive fast on the interstate. And so up at Lookout Pass, you have Mineral County, which is the – Superior Montana is the seat of Mineral County. And so they have a lot of highway to, to navigate. But what happened is these guys um, in a in a vehicle, they ended up going and take – one guy took a hostage inside the travel center in St. Regis. Um, and what people don't know, which, what I've been telling some folks behind the scenes, uh, and what your audience will will hear now probably for the first time because I don't think I've written specifically about some of this stuff. But before the shootout, there was a female custody – take or a female suspect taken into custody by the Mineral County Sheriff's Office, and she was released without the M- Mineral County – attorney's office being notified that she was even in custody. And so um, there was a, there's a really weird sort of uh, fissure between Mineral County, the sheriff's office, and the county attorney's office. I've been watching this play out in something called the writ of mandamus. It's a legal proceeding that happens obscurely when law enforcement and attorneys can't follow the law themselves. It's been the most bizarre shit in the world. I I really can't tell you how much of a David Lynch movie this is, and I will talk some serious shit on David Lynch later. But, um, <laughs> Mineral County, <laughs> is the one Yeah, it is. Mineral Mineral County has to you know protect us uh, if we're in that part of Montana, and the people at the travel center got to see some people get shot or one guy get shot. Um, lethally. And so when I uh, went in person um, with a person I was collaborating, collaborating with at the time to the, the school gymnasium where the sheriff had called for like a grieving a meeting or something, he, he forgot to invite specifically the, the county commissioners and the attorney's office. Oh my God. And so it turned out to be this weird law enforcement, rah-rah, wow. boom ba. you guys are like awesome Wild West, shoot them dead. And, uh, the important people in that meeting were Sanders County, the new sheriff, he's a constitutional sheriff and then highway patrol. So when you want to think about people lured by trafficking money, cause they're not getting paid enough to deal with that bullshit. Think about those guys showing up in the gymnasium that day. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but who's showing up here's where the new sheriff, Ryan Funk made kind of a little, a little mistake is he said that there was a miscommunication across the border with Idaho. And so I'm like, miscommunication. Hmm. <laughs> I like communication. I'm a journalist. That's what I call myself. I like communicating with all kinds of people. My, my mouth just like really does this all of the time. And so I, I do that with the Shoshone County Sheriff's Office. And I'm like, hey, FYI, uh, Mineral County threw you under the bus. You guys should know this. Also, this female, she was taken into custody. She was cut loose. The county the attorney's office didn't know about it. You guys should know about it. And the captain said, I will let the sheriff know about it. And I said, cool. And, uh, you know, it's just like, this is how stuff rolls. Um, But uh, I should tell you about the cows and the cannabis next, maybe. Yeah, let's
0: just go into that. That sounds great. I was going to ask you about, um, well, let's get into that first. Then I'll ask you about the Sean Stevenson.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. So, Mineral County um, has Wally Congdon. And I have a soft spot in my heart for Wally. And this is where Incest Town I call Missoula Zoom Town, but like I kind of transitioned to calling it Incest Town because Wally goes to my parents' church. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, he runs, um, or he, he has a manager that runs Highlander Cows in Clinton, Montana, which is east of Missoula. And it is this is I'm um, going to be kind of touched on in my article that's posting tomorrow. That's got me just a uh, it, it's a <laughs> I yeah it's going to be an interesting article. But um so. <laughs> Wally, in court, was accused by the sheriff, Ryan Funk, in this writ of mandamus hearing, of loading 200 pounds of cannabis with the help of a maintenance guy into his personal vehicle
0: to feed his cows. Whoa. He's feeding his cows weed?
2: Yes. I want to eat some of those cows. Well, that brings up a good question, because I like to be diligent as a journalist. And so I called, it took me a while to find the number of the guy that's like kind of veterinarian for the state. Um, and so Wally's actually known around the state for, um, developing some standards around meat, which is ironic because I, I talked to this, this guy and he, I'm like, Hey, cannabis, commercial beef. Is there an issue with just feeding the cows weed? And he's like, who are you? What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm a journalist. I ruined his Monday. It was like 8.30 in the morning. He did not expect to be talking about Wally and weed and, and cows. I mean, if you look at these Highlanders, they look stone already, so it's pretty funny shit. But um, it, nothing happens. Uh, this when, when you're the law and you're kind of like in this weird lynchian world, apparently you just feed the cows weed um, and nothing happens. Another part before we get to Sean. Um when I was on Wally's I was on his trail, I wrote a song about him. I do a lot of musical stuff now with the ukulele, but this time I had a guitar. Cool. And uh um I, I make I, I'm trying to have some fun as I'm doing this shit and putting a big sort of like you know mark on my back. But um I was at at the fair taking a little video clip and these 4-H girls approach me because they hear me talk about Wally. And I thought I was about to get reprimanded because I wasn't taking the cows and the livestock seriously by these serious girls. And they're like, were you talking about Wally Congdon? I was like, yeah. And they're like, we know that he's not feeding his cows and he's abusing his cows. And we have, uh, you know, basically reported him and nothing happens to him. I'm just like, whoa, girls. Like, our parents are upset because, you know, I'm just like, you know, good for you for reporting it. You don't mess
0: with the 4-H girls, man.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry that nothing happened, girls, but. Um, it's just, it's, it's like that. in, in here in Missoula, so That's crazy.
1: I still, I love the real world reinforcement though. Like you yep. come to a place where if anybody's going to know it's these people up and coming in the world. Right. And they've heard about this thing that you're, you're getting told like, this is crazy, son. And then you have these young people who are like, uh, "Yeah, we're we're talking about this, and nothing's happening." I think that's great.
2: Well, one of my beliefs, and I think the reporters have stopped doing this, is like you go physically to the places in person and you talk to people on the ground. I don't know if like most media is now just—I think it's all social media. But like it's yeah. or they go to they go to some of these trials because I've been in in person to some trials. But yeah, it's weird. It's weird.
1: Yeah, what they'll do is they'll go. They'll set up a tripod. They'll get a live shot with an intro, 30 seconds. They pack it up, they get back in the car, they head out. You know what I mean? And they've been hollowed out. And the, These
2: newsrooms have been hollowed out. I try and uh, remind myself. True. You know.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, true. all right. So, but true. so,
2: Sean Stevenson, yeah, do you yeah. want me to, to touch on to touch on that? Yeah, let's get
0: into Sean Stevenson, because this is just really, really interesting. Well. How did um, his involvement,
2: how did he get involved with Johnny Perry? So, I sent you a link, and uh, I sent you two links actually and it's kind of like two links to articles that represent my master links in a lot of ways up to that point whatever whenever they were posted
0: yeah those are on uh,
2: zoomcron.com by the way yes thank you uh, zoomcron.com is where i've been uh, posting all my all my articles and so that i i spent a lot of time actually compiling all of the links on Sean's case because that is the sort of defining reason for how i've spent the last 3 years I credit Sean even with why I don't drink alcohol anymore. And so um, I mentioned the numbers one through 20 and, and this is significant um, because January 3rd, 2020 is when Sean was assaulted inside the Pavarella Center. It's when I put in my notice to leave Missoula Aging Services. And so I was ready to leave the nonprofit sector. That It was a Friday. That was the day that I, I put in my notice to HR saying adios. Um, And I found out later, January 3rd is also the day in 2006 that our mayor, John Engen, uh, first took power in in Missoula. So John Engen, he's since passed away from cancer, but he won five terms uh, and won five terms. I mean, this guy was the longest running mayor of Missoula, Montana. I mean, it was um, it was a generation. And I actually Thank talked you. to Johnny Lee Perry uh, for the first time on the day that that shot or that John Engen announced his late his last bid to be mayor and it was right across the street from the Pavarillo Center in Silver park and so there's a lot of just crazy stuff and how all of this has kind of um, played itself out but um January 3rd 2020 for Sean is when he was assaulted and and it's kind of to kind of back up um The way that I have come to understand some information on Sean's case and to get to know his family has been a very slow burn. And so um, I mentioned a road trip that I took uh, when I was facing some crazy stuff in August and needing to really change my perspective uh, significantly. And I was starting to get some initial money from a divorce settlement that allowed me to do all of this traveling. One of the reasons I had this guy claiming I'm a Fed or or accusing me of being a Fed is probably because I've been traveling around like a rock star going to New York City, (laughs) finishing a book, kicking some ass, and he's probably like Fed. And I'm like, no, Um, crazy, sad, divorced dad uh, driving around America trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And so um, it was really during that trip that I understood that Sean's family, the Stevenson family, is like black royalty, okay, um, Sean was born in Pittsburgh. He's around my age, so in his mid forties when when he died. Um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a place like Missoula, Montana, that has three rivers that kind of come in. Um, water has played a huge part of my inquiry in the last, you know, four or five months, uh, which is funny because it's snowing very hard um, all all day today. And uh, and so Sean, Sean in, in Pittsburgh, P- Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was a place where uh, Negro baseball leagues were owned by, by black Americans. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh courier was a well-known, uh, nationally well-known, uh, black owned newspaper, uh, Roberto Clemente, uh, the, 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 Harris brothers, um, famous photographers, one of them, uh, teeny Harris, I think was his name, just all kinds of culture that I had no idea about. And that the Sean Stevenson family, you know, very, very involved in very, this is part of their, their heritage. And so it kind of blew me away that, um, and when you know Sean's dad, He's a doctor, Dr. Kenneth right. Stevenson, and yeah, his his pedigree, which I won't get into yet because sometimes I just I put too much information out there. But when you start slowly understanding who these people are, you start really wondering how could they not find a lawyer in Montana to at least get them more officially able to ask questions and not relying just on a blogger like me that... You know, may at certain points actually detract in how I carry out my inquiries from, from the serious nature of the fact that Sean was assaulted inside the Poverillo Center. Uh, he was taken to the St. Pat's Hospital and he was removed from life support and his family was told after the fact. And so when I say he was euthanized by the Missoula County Sheriff's Office, which I've said publicly at city council and they get upset. It's because the sheriff is also the coroner, and the right. law enforcement was in that room when Sean was, was removed from life support, and the family had no fucking clue it was happening. How... I don't understand how a sheriff can be the coroner. Like, isn't there a conflict of interest in this? Like... You know, when I was in Texas... Because like, they're going to
0: make the final decision.
2: Yeah, it's funny. When I was in Texas, I think I was in Travis County, actually. Synchronicity. He, <laughs> he, <laughs> oh, Names <laughs> and synchronicities and numbers, it all plays into driving me insane, but I... I um. I was rollerblading around on my fruit boots, which is what uh, <laughs> Owen Benjamin calls rollerblades, but I'm a hey, child man. of the 90s. And so uh, to cover ground, I rollerblade. And so I was hot. It was Texas. It was summer. And I knock on a door of a funeral home. I'm like, you know, hey, can you tell me some shit about sheriffs and corners and stuff? And in Texas, the large counties absolutely have separate corner medical examiner services. Um, but in some of the smaller counties in Texas, they may have to share responsibilities are or, or included within the sheriff's duties. And so it's not uh, unusual for other states to have a similar situation that that the sheriff provides coroner duties as well. And so Okay. Just it just seems does. like
1: such a huge oversight, you know? Yeah. I mean, no one's blowing the whistle on it. and I mean, until you, of course, well, yeah. but uh, it just and, it doesn't seem right. And the
2: Barsati case is another part of um, of this that we'll g- kind of get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, because in that case, you know, whether or not Rebecca is declared dead via accident because she was found dead in the river, that means whether or not an insurance company pays out $250,000. And so if you're the sheriff and you write accident on the death certificate, where's the money cha-ching so yeah it's kind of important to be able to define terms of death um the manner in which uh <laughs> manner and cause which can be sort of a separate thing but um but sean was taken off life support and one of the reasons or one of the things that people like ask is like how can that happen right um when i'm giving my five minute elevator pitch and i'm like well without family consent because you have to have family
0: consent right well,
2: and, and this is this here's the thing so i i uh, Talked to St. Pat's Hospital. I was able to get a risk assessment person on the phone to to talk to me, and she said she was nice. She was a nice lady, but she said I would have to subpoena them for just their protocol for what it what it takes um, to take someone off life support. Wow. So just to get their 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 rules, I would have to subpoena them. I would have to get a lawyer. You know, so I'm not I'm not going to pay a lawyer uh, to 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 do that. Um, and the family couldn't find a lawyer. So at, around that time, this this was maybe. Yeah, around this time, um, I was trying to feel out the the situation that would place the coroner or the sheriff in that room, okay? And I talked to this guy that I ran into, I think it was at a bagel shop, and he had been kicked out of the sheriff's office and now worked for the county attorney's office as an investigator. And so I kind of asked him, I'm like, hey, generally, how would this work out? And he's like, well, have you talked to Kirsten Paps, the county attorney? I'm like, no. He's like, well, have you talked to the sheriff? I'm like, no, he's like, you should. And so I'm like, OK, this guy wow. is serious about chain of custody stuff. And so I, I immediately called the coroner, the, uh, the sheriff's office and talked to the coroner um, before he had a chance to give him a heads up. And I was able to ask generally without referencing Sean's case, why law enforcement would be potentially in the room to help or to be in the room as someone was being taken off of life support. And the the response was, well, if they're an organ donor, then we would just you know want to help with the paperwork. There's so much paperwork, you know, and we're just we're helpful. Ha-ha. You know, he didn't laugh, <laughs> um, but the it, the idea was okay. So there would be a a potential reason for them to have more direct involvement with hospital staff as someone was being taken off life support. Well, I mean, Sean wasn't an organ donor, so that doesn't make sense in that situation. But um, yeah, it's a uh, It's really hard to understand how it could happen, and I've really, in three years, had to expand my sense of what corruption in a small town can possibly mean. Because I think it actually connects to some weird, crazy stuff. I agree, big crazy stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's not always you know the the headline embezzlement forty million dollars that disappear. It's not always that. Like corruption starts small. It has to, st- you know, has to start small.
0: What's that? There was a movie. There's a movie with Dwayne, uh, The Rock, whatever. And he goes to that yep. town. It's yep. based on a true story. And the sheriff is super corrupt. And the whole town is corrupt. And- yeah,
1: it's called uh, Walking Tall. No, it's not. Is it Walking Tall? Uh, I don't like know. That. But
2: it's based on a true story. Using movies is very important for me um, as a as a guide to... Well, and and in part because um, one of my current theories is we're all now susceptible to LARP thinking. We're all actually becoming like more in a live action, uh, live action role play situation.
0: Absolutely. And uh, some it's of the- like real life so, is live action role yeah. play, man. So,
2: well, and law enforcement wants to be performing for cameras, not with risky meth, you know, tweaked out uh, homeless cartel connected, you know, meth dealers. So- Um Sheriff Mike Toth, the former sheriff of Mineral County, he had like a walk-in on a movie. Um so he was a cop for in Seattle for a while. And I think it was Legends of the Fall, it was some Tom Cruise movie. And uh we also have a situation in which Missoula County Sheriff's Office was part of live PD. Um they wanted to perform they wanted to perform for the cameras. And um part of my article tomorrow is uh including this conversation I had with the devil recently. Um, that's kind of a nickname I give, uh, Jim Terry. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I
0: was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Yeah.
2: I hope, I hope that doesn't rile him up. He is a, uh, he is a hard person to have a conversation with, but I, I did so. I don't think anybody cares
0: about being called Satan.
2: Oh man. I think he relishes <laughs> it, but I did so because I wanted I to, bet un- he does. I, yeah, I wanted to understand if he knew Mike Toth, the, the former sheriff of Mineral County before Rebecca Barsati went missing and hi, part of his response that I, I cover tomorrow is that um, well? I knew of Mike Toth because we both were PIs and we both had ambitions to be real in reality TV, you know, and, and and that's why Jim Terry has since been sort of written about by the Rolling Stone is because of how he has used family's grief uh, for creative content for his YouTube channel. And, and so my my thing my article tomorrow is about how no one wins when it's the grief industry uh, or some, something to that effect. Um, but it, when you don't have a criminal justice system or law enforcement. The stuff that starts happening, whether it's on social media or armchair investigators, citizen journalists like me, it's not always great. Um, I could probably use an editor and some guidance from time to time. Uh, you know, it's not an ideal situation. I think for me uh, to have taken on so much of exposing stuff, but our local media, is, as as I said recently on the phone to to city council, because I ha- I have to talk on the phone now right now because of the legal situation. Um, but uh, I said they are terrible, 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 no good, very bad members of local media, um, and that's because they're eight months too late. in something I reported back in March about a city council candidate and his criminal history. And I'm just like, am I even here? Like talking? Yeah, they just don't even oh, listen.
0: They don't even listen. They don't
2: even listen, man. <laughs> but it, it's uh, but so hilarious the, at this point. It's very funny, actually.
0: So there's some weird, there's some weird details about Sean Stevenson. So he was allegedly uh, what armbar chokehold, whatever, and yep. went to a coma, but he had. Scratches, cuts, and bruises all over his body. The magic chokehold. So, how does that? What
2: happened there? Well, um, one of the unfortunate comparisons I'm eventually going to have to kind of set up is like the dead black man and the dead white woman, and sort of the, what happened in both situations. You know, in the in Rebecca's situation, her family had some money to uh, to hire a bunch of private people, so private search and rescue to look at the river, private medical examiner to look at the at the body. Um, Sean's family wasn't as um, able to to motivate some of those resources, although Sean's family knows Cyril Wecht. Cyril Wecht is a famous medical examiner, famous as in the first guy to call bullshit on the magic bullet theory. This was insane to me to even know this uh, detail. And then to actually talk to Cyril Wecht on the phone when I was in Pittsburgh, I talked to this 92-year-old man on the phone. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Wecht, thank you. For answering the phone, I had to pester his I, I had to pester his uh secretary um to get the his phone number. Um but all I asked him was uh, you know, can a chokehold produce bruising over uh someone's entire body? He's like, No, that's that's ridiculous. I'm like, Yeah, my seven year old daughter knows that shit. Common sense. Thanks, Doctor. uh yeah. Doctor Wex. Um, but um but,
0: I was gonna ask you about that phone call, like that whole situation. How you how you were able to even get a hold of him? That was pretty intense. Well,
2: I was sleeping in my van the night before, um, because I rented a a camper as I was driving around Pennsylvania, and I name dropped like a motherfucker. Um, and uh, one of the things I do is I show Sean's picture with a very attractive Selma Hayek. Um, I've seen that because yeah, we'll get in, we'll get we'll get into the synchronicity of why you know Pittsburgh and all this stuff. Um. But, but Cyril Wecht, you know, I don't know how his role is interesting to me, but um, ultimately what I wanted was the, the name uh, recognition and just the direct conversation. The fact that I could say that I, I chatted with him for like five minutes um, because the whole situation with Sean, if pe- if anyone pays 10, 15 minutes into some of the basics, the questions that come up are, are crazy um, because Johnny you know, is very skinny, scrawny black dude. Sean is pretty built. Um, even if Sean was very drunk, which he was reportedly under the influence of alcohol that evening, um, he still physically was pretty um, pretty big compared to to Johnny. Um, but the, the situation in the Pavarello Center, which is located on West Broadway in Missoula, Montana, is interesting because I'm very familiar with the facility, with the men's dorm, and I have uh, contacts in the first responder community that, that gave me the perspective about um, response times and, and why it took over five minutes for first responders to get to Sean in the first place. Um, so, I mean, it, but the situation is, and this is where some of my former perspective on uh, the use of drugs and alcohol inside a facility is very handy. Um, yeah. Harm reduction is something that in theory maybe can be done with the proper training um, with staff. You have to really be careful Uh, at the old poverty center. We tried to do it. In one of my interviews back when I was trying to do a podcast myself, one of my interviews was with with my former staff member, Patrick Dugans. And uh, we talked about trying to do a weather policy harm reduction approach, allowing people to be under the influence at the old poverty center. And it was a disaster. We're lucky more people weren't hurt, you know, but We were reluctant to even take booze away because we didn't want someone uh, having seizures and going through DTs because they needed alcohol. So it's a. That's a tricky situation there. It's very tricky. Um, And because at the new location at this particular time, the Pavarilla Center was back in a, you know, let you responsibly use, but they didn't have the staffing or the eyes on all parts of the building to actually, you know, be effective. And so, um, I know from my sources that there was a conversation at the high level of, um, fire chief, police chief, you know, these people talking about, um, basically the fire guys were not going to have discretion. So the captains of the fire trucks, (laughs) um, are the serious motherfuckers that that go in and they have the, the highest level of critical care response and the EMT, uh, truck EMT ambulance guys, gals, you know, um, non whatever, right. Uh, they, they oftentimes are a little bit lower skilled and don't have the same, same level of, uh, ability to, um, to respond to serious situations. And so, um, the captains of the different firehouses used to have the ability to say, we're going to go in and we're going to be sort of, uh, more aggressive in our response. But the, the fire chief said those captains no longer have that discretion with the Pavarillo center. They all have to wait until law enforcement secures the scene. And so Mm. that guaranteed when there was a 911 call and there was multiple 911 calls the evening that Sean was assaulted, that law law enforcement had to secure the scene first and the first responders would be the ones that waited. So um, that partly explains the response time. The strangest thing is that law enforcement? And I think the scene was sort of run by the sheriff's office, but with city police also uh, involved. Um, <laughs> the first responders were asked what their names were very aggressively by um, by law enforcement as they were working on Sean. This is something that the family the heard. First
0: responders were asked, what?
2: not witnesses that were standing around um, watching the action. The first responders were asked, "What the hell?" Very aggressively and this was like a strange thing that that didn't make much sense for the family okay so um and i'll i'm I'm trying not to get too mired in, in details but this is actually important because uh one of the the broad things that i'm interested in is narrative control and how can you control a narrative how can this narrative be so controlled well um I talked to a ambulance driver who was new to his position. And I talked to a 25 year veteran of the fire, the, the fire department, the 25 year veteran, of the fire department. When I asked, have you ever had your, uh, your name and sort of like, you know, have you ever had this experience? He's like, no, why, you know, they know who, who we are. We're responding to the same stuff. Why yeah. would they want to know that information? Especially if we're working on someone makes no you sense. Know? It makes no, it makes no sense, um, to the guy spending 25 years of his life doing serious work. The new guy, nine months on the truck at the time, and this was a while back when I was asking, yes, Travis, that happened to me twice. Okay. What situations did that happen? Okay. Well, it was a, uh, a student suicide at the new Rome, new at the time, Rome building downtown. And it was a violent assault against a person working in the Dakota place. I think it was, which is a crisis center, crisis house. Right. So students, um, homeless potential population, because the guy was probably mentally ill on drugs, I'm assuming, I don't know that to be the fact, um, but I'm assuming that, that these are the kind of situations a new police chief would uh, be sensitive to information getting to the media. And so if you're wanting to control narratives, you want to know who the EMTs and the fire people are um, because they're the ones that might be talking to the media. Um, and that's something that if you're doing like OPSEC, you know, and so our fire or our, our police chief at the time, who has since left, uh, what was his name? Jason. Uh, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he came from Highway Patrol in California. And there was some weird Reddit thread that I, I uh, documented where he had to divest from something called the Iron Cross Ranch before coming to Missoula and becoming our police chief.
1: Hmm. Ah,
2: I don't know. Sounds like a cool place to hang out in Northern California. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so there, there was just like, there was a lot of weird stuff. Um, and uh, this, this guy on the ambulance said that, you know, the, the student suicide, he was coming out of the, the elevator to respond to this and that had his name, like, they're like, who are you? Who are you? And what's your name? Obviously they, they knew know who they were. They were EMTs, but you know, had his name asked for and uh, the same situation when he, when he was responding to this Dakota place um, assault. And so it's just it's it's a strange little detail but it's one that if you're trying to actually understand what's happening in your town which I am desperately trying to understand now with multiple cases that make no sense unless you start understanding how corrupt things are and uh, and the power in and uh, things not happening that's one of the the articles i wrote is there's immense power in stuff that just doesn't happen and it's hard to track that because it's not happening yeah man
0: and i man the corruption yeah. like that is it's it's everywhere at the local level at the highest level you can think of it's everywhere man but like, where I'm getting that if if a if a cop is asking EMT their name or whatever to control their narrative, to me that's like either they want that information as a threat, like you are the father of the narrative because now we know who you are, we have your address. Either follow the game book that we're laying down, or you will have face some problems.
2: You know, that's what I'm getting out of that. No, I mean, it's 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 not threatening until you start understanding um, things that that aren't happening. Uh, I don't know how many people in the first response world might be connecting the dots. I know that there's police and first responders reading my blog. When I was um, getting fingerprinted recently, I'll have to reference that obliquely because I can't necessarily get into some of the details because I don't want you guys to have to deal with um, absolutely legal you know stuff like like I am. But um, I, I hope I hope nothing comes legally on us <laughs> because of this. But. Well, and, and I'm trying to be cautious because again I, I have an opportunity now to do some stuff, and so everyone, even uh, as I've been contentious in my interactions locally, um, it's all led to some good things that I hope to, to have come out of this. But uh, I was getting fingerprinted, and and the the law enforcement officer was like, so did you decide to go to Spokane? Whoa. And I was like, cause he, he was like, I'm reading your blog. I'm, I'm st- staying in touch. And I was like, thanks. You know, no, I'm not going to Spokane. He's like, well, where, where are you going? Oh, I was like, man. somewhere else. It's like, I'm not going to make it that easy for you guys. You know, go to your tracking right. apps. Uh, you know, yeah. I want to make, <laughs> yeah. I want to make them work for it a little bit. You know, absolutely. Oh um, yeah.
1: You're like, Hey, read my content. You'll, you'll find out where I'm going.
2: Well, but again, <laughs> law enforcement needs some level of support. If you, uh, if you want some kind of response when you call nine one one, um, if we're moving into a public private situation with law enforcement and we are, we're, we're, moving to more and more private security being used and it's going to be used selectively. Right. It'll be used in like green zone type situations set up in, in, uh, our 15 minute city future. Yes. Yes. And, uh, This this is the public private future that's 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 happening and Missoula is one of these little pilot program communities that has enough useful idiot local officials going around going going with it because they're well intentioned. Um, But that takes us to hell. Man, so that that brings
0: up a point. So what's the refugee uh, relocation program like? What's going on with that?
2: Oh man, what's going on there man? <laughs> if I had you know if I hadn't worked at a homeless shelter for seven years, my whiteness and my penis, which I definitely have um, <laughs> would be much more of a problem because having a white penis in Missoula, Montana, you know especially if you're gonna start uh, criticizing the refugee resettlement program um, you know but I've been doing that since 2015 or 16 back when I was like, hey, we are having difficulty with the local homeless population. We have a 3 to 5% vacancy rate in the rental market. Um, we have a shitty Medicaid system statewide. Um, and then I start reading Missoulian articles about the state, uh, the director that re- restarted the office having come from New York, and they had refugees coming by plane, and they couldn't find any rentals because they didn't have credit, and they didn't have anyone to co-sign. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, did you, did you talk to any nonprofits that were doing work with homeless people? Because you may have learned something um, but the, the resettlement office was, was open because a suburban mom who was white herself saw a sad picture of a dead toddler and wanted to do something. And so now, um, you know, we have people that are, that are coming and, you know, Missoula's actually got a history of having Hamong relocate here, um, because they were palsies, I think with CIA assets. And, uh, we also have some Belarusians, uh, some, some interesting Russian elements that are, that are here. Wow. Um, so, we, I mean, and nothing to, to rag on actual communities that are that are here. Um, I've been doing some research into my own heritage with uh, Pennsylvania Dutch uh, heritage and, and Sean's family and, and have been finding some amazing sort of connections. But um, when it starts moving into criminal networks and and the inability to vet people that are coming and the inability to have support services to actually do the, the help. Um, and so you know that's resulted in one refugee committing a, a rape allegedly, and uh, that was about a year and a half ago, I think. But um it just it, it's a challenge when uh, now we have. I mean, I, I call Missoula Zoom Town because during the pandemic, obviously people could work remotely. Missoula is one of these places with deep, crazy connections to powerful people, and so Missoula became one of these places where more and more people with deep pockets wanted to move to, and our housing is completely insane as it relates to what wages are locally absolutely absolutely um you made a comment on
0: sam tripoli's show about uh and i love sam Shipley. shout out to sam shout out to sam um he's great if, yeah he's, he's great you mentioned uh, how the motels in and around missoula and probably everywhere um are being used in like a system of trafficking for meth and also for the trafficking of children so, can you get into that?
2: Okay, this is perfect because this highlights going physically to a location and asking questions. It's amazing. Um, I I so consistently make the Missoulian, the our local newspaper run by Lee newspaper or Lee Enterprises. I make them look so terrible, and it's so easy to me. Um, I spend uh, like more time doing. Research. Is that satisfying? Yeah, it is. I mean, fifteen minutes That's, on the. Yes. Toilet. I'm sitting fifteen minutes on the toilet finding connections <laughs> and uh, getting ready to oh, yeah. to make my next post for the day. Um, but we had a, a situation where there was a SWAT response uh, to the L- Red Lions Inn, and so the Red Lions Inn is located um, Broadway and Orange Street in, pretty close to the highway pretty close to the Pavarella Center. And, you know, it's just uh, run down. There used to be a Chinese restaurant called the Triple Dragon that I liked, but that restaurant's been empty for a long time. And so the Red Lion Inn is a it, kind of a weird inn. And um, part of my work at the, at the Pavarella Center was as the homeless outreach coordinator. And so I went to a lot of these different motels and um, I'm not being racist when I talk about the Patel cartel. It's a thing a lot of motels around America and this for decades have been run by East Indian families. And so what is it called? What's the name? Um, of it? But, but Patel is kind of like a general name Patel, from my understanding okay. in, uh, in, in Indian culture. So like, like Smith in, in uh, English culture is a general last name. Um, the, the, the Patel cartel was sort of a, I don't know if it's a pejorative, I'm not trying to use it as one, but um, it's a fact that a lot of Eastern Indian families run motels across America um, it's not easy work. It, I mean, it's, you're, you're seeing and cleaning up stuff. Uh, and I, I know because I've scraped homeless people off the, off the ground from motels on like, you know, wow, Benzo borderline OD situations where they've crapped their pants and stuff. And so I've helped in a visceral way, some of these motel managers. And because of that, they like to talk to me. So I have a perspective. And when, uh, this is maybe not last summer, maybe the summer before uh, it's all kind of blurs together sometimes, but we had a situation in which I was out and about downtown and I actually saw this SWAT response to the, it was supposed to be some kind of situation at the Red Lions Inn, but it turned out to be a false alarm and some woman was injured on her bike and all of these SWAT people ended up attending to this woman on her bike. That That's what was reported in the Missoulian. So false alarm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Weird, crazy SWAT response. I mean, I'm watching them get the big SWAT truck ready at the city at the um, city downtown spot for the cops. And so I, I kind of watched, and they were closing streets all around the, the vicinity, the perimeter. And so... Around Red Lion, around Red Lion? Around the Red Lion Inn. But multiple streets uh, okay. were, were closed down, um, or at least they had stationed law enforcement there. So it, it, it was very bizarre to me, enough to the point where I decided the next day to go... To the Red Lion Inn, and I I walked in the door and I talked to the lady at the front desk. The lady at the front desk was new; um, she had only been there for a couple days. They brought her from some other state, so she probably didn't know not to talk to me. But she talked to me, and she told me that it was actually a training. Wow! I'm like, huh? Yeah, it was a training, and she was annoyed because the cops had the keys to the room where the two fake hostage people or the the two people were in. And so she was annoyed that they kicked the door because she had given keys to a cop earlier in the day. And so I, she gave me the number. I went and took a picture of the footmarks on the door, you know, and I, I um, sent an email to Lydia Arnold. She was the public information officer at the time and happened to be uh, a volunteer with me at one point when I was the homeless outreach coordinator, because this is incest town. And I'm just like, so Lydia police training. No, Travis, that wasn't a training. Okay, sure. So um, that was odd. Uh, I believe the the receptionist at the front desk over over uh, the public information officer. Uh, and that same summer, there was also uh, something that happened at the at the eyeglass center. Um, sort of on the southern part of missoula um and this was just again neighbors were weirded out by this heavy police response in the neighborhood and i went and asked this this eye center some information and got a phone number and ended up uh getting this woman from the eye center tell me that uh it was coordinated by the fbi for first responders how does that why why you know we all need training. Uh, I, I wish law enforcement, um, especially in the Missoula County Sheriff's Office, we get crisis intervention training, um, because we can talk about the state sanctioned execution of Johnny Lee Perry next. Yes. But, um, so there's good training that can happen. Uh, I've been involved in some of this good training. So, um, and maybe before talking shit on law enforcement, I should say something really good, uh, really quickly. Um, because, Cops don't have people telling good stories about them. And in in my role, one of my favorite stories is that uh, I had law enforcement reach out to me. um, This was, you know, years ago, but they were about to um, tell everyone parked behind Walmart that they had to finally leave. So they all these people had been talked to. They had been ticketed. The sign posted publicly says you can't live here in your shitbag campers. So you have to move along. Right. And so the the cop asked if I could be present that day. So pretty big police presence. Um, I'm talking to people sort of down the street as the cops were going door to door, knocking, reminding people they had to leave. And I hear yelling down the street. And this guy is coming out of his camper angry, yelling at the cops. So I kind of make my way close, but not too close. And the lead officer was obviously, I would hope he was trained uh, with crisis intervention training because he maintained his calm. You know, he kept his uh, voice low. um, So he didn't rise in the escalation cycle. You know, and he was able to actually point to me and say, "Hey, you know, sir," because this guy was like, "I'm here to help these people. I came off the mountain. I'm a veteran. Fuck you, cops. You know, I'm actually helping them. You're here to fuck with them." And part of this this police officer's argument was like, "No, we want to help too. This guy is from the Pavarello Center, and we brought him here today to help." So the guy saw that um, uh, and actually helped calm him down. And I talked to this dude later. He was well armed. He was a veteran. He was off a mountain to help those people. And that could have gone bad. Yeah. So thank you, law enforcement, you know, for, for inviting me to, to be a part of your technique of de-escalation where, where it needed. Because that, in that situation, it was needed. Um, but that was Missoula PD. So that was city police. Um, the sheriff's office is involved in executing Johnny.
0: Woo! Sheriff's office is involved with the execution of Johnny Perry. And again, Johnny Perry was the killer of Sean Stevenson at the Pavarello. Um, I looked into Johnny Perry a little bit, so
2: I want you to tell us exactly who this guy was. I would like to know more um, about, about Johnny Lee Perry because I had one opportunity to talk with him in a non-escalated situation, and I had a second opportunity to interact with him that I documented Uh, on on camera and i really unfortunately think that's what led to him being shot and killed but johnny lee perry um and and sean's family knows so much more about this i mean i still even though i've seen a lot of the i've seen some documentation now that some of the work they've done um, i've heard some interviews that the police did with johnny lee perry and that's what actually alarmed me the most recently is um listening to uh detective mitch lang interview johnny lee perry but. you know, Johnny Lee Perry was from Oakland, California, and he came here. I had heard he potentially had a girlfriend at some point, uh, potentially was in St. Regis, which is kind of weird because that's a very small, very, very white conservative kind of part of Montana. So he would stick out as a young black dude. Um, and uh, and Johnny was actually pretty well liked by a lot of people on the street. I talked to a lot of people that uh, liked him, even though he was really quick to use the N word. Um, would get pretty hyped up on uh, on meth, you know, from time to time, and uh, and was kicked out of the Pavarella Center um, after this assault. But like he he never was really. Oh man, it's been a while for the details. Um, he was arrested, but I think the county attorney's office chose not to officially charge him. Um, with felony assault. It was, it was very odd. And that's where I was trying to understand with Josh Pagn- Pagnow or however you say his last name. Um, and, and Ben, the young man that was stabbed to death. I was trying to understand how the County attorney's office was looking at extreme violence and not charging situations. Cause it was really inexplicable to me at the time, you know, cause Johnny, I think was arrested once or twice after Sean died. And the whole thing was just so bizarre to me. Um, and it, when I finally got a chance to talk to Sean, again, this was April, our mayor, John engen had just announced for his fifth run. Um, I crossed the California street bridge to go by the Pavarello center and I see Johnny and Johnny, uh, you know, pretty kind of scrawny still. And I yell out to him I'm like Johnny. And he's like, what? And I decided to go and approach him. I was pretty nervous. Um, but I, I, told him who I was and that I talked to Sean's family and that I didn't think he was involved uh, to the extent that he was accused in, in killing Sean. Okay. And so we ended up walking away from his friends toward this became like a, a taco stand for a bit, but it's really close to the Pobreville center, just like a half block uh, to the East on Broadway. And um, Johnny sat down and, and talked to me for a bit about um about the situation. When I when I told him about the bruising, because I, I had heard about the bruising on Sean's body, I hadn't actually seen the pictures yet. What, what Johnny told me is very interesting. Johnny told me that he was told by law enforcement Sean was dropped off the gurney as they were loading him into the ambulance. Wow. So Johnny had an explanation given to him by law enforcement that explained the bruising. When I talked to my uh, fire guy source, he said, Travis, with uh, insurance forcing ambulance trucks to update their equipment and the gurneys they have in service at that time. He's like, no way would a body uh, have been dropped off that gurney. He's like, I just don't see that happening. And so, uh, and and, you know, Johnny was pretty like meek at the time. I I didn't get a sense of like being uh, in physical danger by him. Uh, One of his buddies came over after I talked to him for a while, just to kind of check and see if Johnny was okay. I think. Um, cause who is this white dude rolling up wanting to ask questions? But, um, one of the things that Johnny talked about that freaks me out still, and it's a subject that, you know, I don't like at all is, um, TIs being a targeted individual. He wanted to show me video, like YouTube clips on my phone. And I'm like, don't touch my phone. And, uh, and, and so that for, I mean, for a long time, that's bugged me out that he mentioned, uh, TIs, but, um, Johnny, was it, I think it was later. Yeah. It was later that year in um, August. I saw Johnny in the same area by the Pavarello center, but he was uh, escalated. He had his arms up in the air, walking on the sidewalk on Broadway. So his fingers were pointed up, you know, like, like guns. And so I, I parked by the casino positioned my camera to film and approached him and different perception. I mean, a different person, you know, to some extent, you know, uh, I don't know what he was necessarily on at, at that time, but um, I asked him about Sean and he, he, claimed to have killed Sean at that point point. said he choked him out, you know? Um, then he said that he was the CIA. He was like, I'm the new CIA. Mm. Um, and, uh, he, you know, lowered his hand and sort of made bang sounds and said he was going to like go after law enforcement. I mean, the, the video footage, you know, is, is details what he, what he said, but it was concerning to me. I, uh, cut off the, the contact with him and went and called nine one one. Um, and it's it, it's something that still to this day um really bothers me because I I talked to Sean's family about whether or not to put that video footage out, but um the nine one one response was shit. I've since come to expect that you know generally, but um I demanded to talk to law enforcement, and a couple days after that that nine one one call, I did talk to a police officer who was like you know Travis, do you know where where Johnny was before? You saw him? I'm like, no, you you know, tell me where was Johnny? Well, he was in my car Hmm. talking to me. He was just stoned. Interesting. You know, he'd been smoking cannabis. I'm like, okay. Um, And he was all upset, Travis. This is the cop, you know, talking to me. He's all upset because um, we had just impounded his car and he was sleeping in his car. And so that's why he was upset. Okay. Fair enough. That reaction
0: doesn't sound like someone just high on marijuana.
2: No. And it's a, the whole thing, you know, I I talked to a lot of people that knew Johnny and Johnny was led to believe he contributed to Sean's death. So I think when he was talking about, uh, you know, killing Sean, it was, he'd internalized that, that he thought he was directly responsible for, for Sean's death. And so I think he believed it um, and he died believing it. Um, But he died because uh, he was taken out to the woods by ex-con. Named Jackie Maxville, and this happened about two weeks, uh, two weeks and a few days after I posted the video footage. I posted it. I talked to NBC Montana to see if they wanted to do anything with it, but local media are a bunch of fucking pussies. Yeah, that's a you can. That's a direct quote. Oh, that's that's um, staying in. For so sure. I agree.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it makes my job more difficult when they're a bunch of fucking pussies. But um, some of the kick-ass ones actually uh, had to leave the state. So NBC Montana had a kick-ass. Uh, person working and she she had to leave. Um so they didn't want to do anything with this footage. I put it out and what happened is that there's a ex-con named Jackie Maxville. And I know all this because I sat and watched the coroner's inquest. So I was in um a courtroom with law enforcement in numbers sitting there talking uh not talking but sitting there just I mean the presence was was intimidating. Um and the coroner's inquest we can maybe get into that. It's a very weird process. Um, but it's, it's guaranteed to let law enforcement off the hook essentially uh, by creating such a high standard of finding them criminally liable that no, it's never going to happen.. Yeah. Uh, county attorney is never going to even you know, try their, their best. Um, so it's literally performance. It's just a performance art you know, piece, you know, for, for pretend sake. That's what I see. Yeah. That's what I see nationally. I just see everything as an
0: act. They all just say these, uh, you know, candy-cutting phrases yeah. to keep the people yeah. at bay. And this they tell the people what they want to hear. The boom, we're done. Yeah.
1: The outcome's already predetermined, right? So, I mean, there's no real heart in any of it. You listen to the people talk it doesn't sound like impassioned people trying to get to the bottom of whatever it is. It just sounds like people that already know where the chips are going to fall. So they want to move on to the next proceeding. You know what I mean? And they just, that's it.
2: That's where I like to show
1: what, what a, what a local guy with zero fucks can accomplish. Um,
2: (laughs) And, and to warn people that this is what happens because um, I don't think too many people would, would necessarily do what I've done, but, um in in johnny's situation what i've done is i've made fun of the sheriff's office and the way i've made fun of them is by saying i saw how you guys developed your strategy of killing johnny because i watched the 32 minutes of your fucking uh video footage uh, body cam so when i make fun of you for being afraid of the tweakers it's it's because i i heard you guys talk and so um, Justin White was the, was the lead coward in developing uh, the strategy and he's involved in SWAT. So, uh, you know, okay, here's, here's, here's him talking. Um, and this is, this is what happens. Okay. So, uh, Jackie Maxville takes Johnny out to the deep Creek South side of, of Missoula. Okay. Um, I suspect there's some meth that's used at some point. I don't know if Johnny uh, had the money to buy the meth. Maybe Jackie Maxville gave him the meth. I don't know. Maybe. Um, there was a machete, a long knife. Machetes were really hot that summer. It was a really nice accessory for, uh, for the um, poor victims in the homeless community um, that like their drugs. So, uh, machetes were cool. And Johnny was in possession of a machete potentially given to him by Jackie, Maxville, Jack, or, or maybe he already had it. Who knows? But they, they went out to the woods and at some point Jack gets kind of scared. Um, so scared that does he call 911 himself? No, he calls his daughter. And his daughter calls nine one one. That's fucking weird. Mm, Yeah. So the sheriff's office, they respond. Um, there's lots of them. Okay. Uh, and there are, uh, Jackie Maxville, Johnny Lee Perry. And there's two other people that were like sick. Um, one of them is a really kick-ass chick who I think has risked a lot by talking to me. Um, and, uh, and so, but they were out there watching what ended up happening. And so, uh, Johnny was playing with his machete the cops were like fifty yards away. They spent a half an hour, you know, basically watching Johnny just swing it around, you know, just swing it around. I mean, he wasn't making any lunges. He wasn't saying anything. Um, they used their their megaphone uh, to basically say, "Johnny, put the gun or put the knife down. Put the knife down, Johnny." Um, and but they were developing their strategy at the at the time, so. Uh, Justin was like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Are we gonna bring dogs in? No, we're not gonna bring dogs in. We're gonna use the non-lethal rounds. And if that doesn't uh, it, like immobilize Johnny and he makes a move to one of the meth shacks, we're gonna assume he might have some meth friends with guns just waiting to go crazy and start bing 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 yeah, bing. So that's, that's where their what fear- yeah, that's where I think their fear comes in. I have to be like, well, they were afraid of what they didn't know in those little mess shacks. So clearly." Um, when they enact their plan, which they did after half an hour, they got bored, I think, of, um, pretending to, uh, tell Johnny force, forcibly what was going to happen if he didn't, you know? Um, and, and so th- they move in, uh, I, I can't remember who shoots with the non-lethal, but four rounds were used. Johnny was not deterred. He ended up running, uh, taking off. And then I think it was Sean Evans, Sheriff Deputy Sean Evans um, shot him twice in the back. Whoa. And he bled out. Uh, they, they hung out there for a while. He was flown by hel- helicopter and he and he died. So um, what Johnny may or may not have known about what happened the night that Sean was assaulted, you know, dies with him. And it just is disgusting to me uh, because, uh, you know, sitting in that, in that courtroom watching the charade that is a coroner's inquest, when I tell people don't come to Montana, I, I, I'm serious. It is not a safe state. Uh, there is no functioning criminal justice system. Unless you want to hire all your own private everything to try and get answers, then, you know, it's it's Yellowstone. Um, it's the train station. People are taken out, and it just – it can happen, you know. And you can literally know specific information, and the sheriff's office just won't call you back. And that hurts my feelings. Oh, man. <laughs> sheriff's <laughs> office. Chance, yeah, call him back. <laughs> So, well, cause I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, I helped him catch a killer. Kevin yeah. Leno was a, a murderer. Oh dude. Let's talk about that, man. Yeah. I
0: want to hear about freaking Kevin Leno, dude. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, cause all right. So there were witnesses at the Johnny Perry murder. Um, what happened to them? What happened to Jackie? I mean, no witnesses came forward to say anything.
2: He was in and out of in and out of jail again, and I mean, it's the the ultimate outcome of a coroner's inquest is that the jury, because there's a jury, um, they can ask questions, uh, but they found Sean Evans uh, not criminally liable um so he didn't commit a crime for shooting this guy in the back as he's running away like that that goes against protocol doesn't it the standard yeah right i who knows i'd have to subpoena them i'm sure (laughs) i have to subpoena that with guts but uh but they were able to just you know basically rationalize um the risk to themselves were they not to use lethal force against johnny and so the The corner's in quest, the outcome was was baked into the into the cake i mean it's it's definitely we know how this stuff is gonna play out, but it's very difficult to actually sit there and and watch that stuff it was um it was not easy and i i uh i don't I don't get too uh using the n word myself but I ran into a former city council in between the there was a break um and i i I unfortunately said of how i thought black people were being treated in missoula and his eyes kind of got wide and not my best moment but it was (laughs) ryan von rocket scientist will definitely remember that burrito that he was ordering oh man
1: Oh, uh, yeah. A burrito with a little side of reality check there. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Again, I would already, like, you know, helped law enforcement catch killers and stuff at this point. So I uh, I can get kind of cocky, you know, a little a little arrogant, a little aggressive. When, when people want to be polite, they say I'm passionate. I, I've realized that's a code word for, like, we're kind of, like, a little worried that you're going to not stop talking to us. So <laughs> you're, you're passionate. You know, that's the polite way of trying to <laughs> chill me out, I think.
1: I don't know. For me, just before – before we get into the next segment, I mean, for me, it's it's refreshing because, you know, if you were to sit there and you absorb what the media is actually putting out, you start to feel like a crazy person because you're like, no, there's no way, you know, like there it goes against all your logic. Yeah. Yes. You're like, there has to be more to the story. And unfortunately, Montana is a place where people largely, you know, they pick up the paper, they read it online and like, oh, that's what happened. Cool. Right on. Got it. Well, yeah, and
2: and before we get we get to the next one, the thing that I'm hoping to to do is actually take a a look at what I've been doing and create a bit of a model to have multiple lenses and looking at your own backyard. Um so that people can do a bit of this. I I wouldn't recommend doing a a public blog and kind of going after people for, for being corrupt in the way that I've done it, but um a lot of people don't have the insight and some of the connections that I've been able to 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 work into sort of my my effort to do this but this is everywhere um and one of the things with our new mayor is she went to harvard recently uh in the post that i I said she went to the place that taught ted kaczynski to be a people person to learn how to be a, a globalist mayor because um this 15 minute city shit you know she this it's a Bloomberg center for cities or city center, you know, one of these sort of like organizations that literally are just giving them their marching orders at this point. So um, this stuff is, is going everywhere. Um, And I've got a lot of interesting books that I'm going to be packing with me as I create a mobile library to, to sort of accessorize my effort to, take it on the road and expose things on a, on a different level. So,
0: so as you go on the road, are you going to stick with these stories as you go on the road or are you going to move to something else? Once you get to another place, are you going to start going locally there and uncovering local? Well,
2: I want to design, um, I want to design the, the transit truck, uh, essentially. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to leave Missoula. I'm going to maintain an address here and my, my family and my, my kids are here. So, Um, and I have I have some court stuff that I'll be um, definitely needing at some point to be in person for. But in, in the meantime, you know, I'm trying desperately to think of things differently. Bricks and mortar as a place to actually have a business. Um, I mean, currency is about to get out of control. Inflation, all of yeah. that. You know, a hot war at some point. So, oh shit! just um, made me think
0: of something, man. Let me ask this really quick. Yeah. For the homelessness situation. Okay. So when we become a cashless society, right? what are the homeless going to do? Yeah. Like you got to so, give it, Here's a, here's a crypto, here's a crypto coin. It's like,
2: I'm glad you asked that because, um, one of the things I did want to touch on is, uh, how butthurt I can get and how butthurt many people in alternative media can get. Um, and so at some point I want to reconnect with some of the synchro mystics that I, I read their content and continue to listen to a lot of podcasts, but I was so eager like a year and a half ago i think i uh put put off some people and so my attempts to get on some of these these podcasts that i've been on um have, has not been all that successful and it's interesting because i hear the effort of, of getting people more together on the same page um but this is a roundabout way of answering your question uh allison is it mcdowell is yeah allison yep, yep, mcdowell, Alison McDowell um, the way that her and Derek Bros had this falling out, very public, was was very bizarre to me because I'd um, I still think her her content is amazing in anticipating the gamification of of everything of what's happening. Uh, when I say that I think we're all getting sucked into a LARP, I think of Allison's work, and so Allison McDowell is very important in, in putting it into context. And I'm trying to keep you know sort of data and information separate from personalities uh, because our, our personalities can get in, in the way of stuff. Um, I know mine can, so, (laughs) but it's, it's interesting because, um, a long time ago, years ago, I was, uh, it was the university of Wisconsin. I think they were doing some kind of app development and they wanted to get us homeless providers and service providers, some insight. And we were so desperate. And this is what I talked to Allison at the time. We were so desperate working with people with addiction. We wanted anything to, to improve this. And they're like, okay, so, we're going to have this app and it's going to have, you know, support services like, you know, content that they can talk or they can access whenever they want to stay sober. We can plug in where they scored their drugs in town oh and it'll give God. a little notification warning if they get close to where they're scoring what? drugs. You know, uh, we'll have their emergency contact. So if they need to, they can hit the emergency button, you know. And so it sounds great when you're desperate crazy. and you want anything to to improve something this is years and years and years ago right um who knows what they've actually rolled out in some of these ways but um it it got me thinking when allison was starting to make the rounds of of what my kids are being faced with and you know i i'm not going to be probably the the most successful um in getting through the narrative control through their heads you know because it's so it's so challenging to kind of wade through stuff but there was one episode of Black Mirror I made my kids watch because they have to have a, a different understanding of risk uh, because they're just they've grown up in this. It's like oxygen to them, and you know it's the homeless community will get sucked into having phones and having the help apps that will make it seem good, but the the smart cities, the smart tech. I, I had a, a homeless guy, an indigenous dude, who's since been in jail for quite a while. Um he kicked a cop in the balls.
1: Oh man. <laughs>
2: Dino, Dino, you shouldn't have kicked the cop in the balls. But um oh, Dino great. walked away from support housing because he's like he's like, Travis, I think there is cameras in the vents. He's like, I don't like it. Like he he felt being watched. He said he looked out and saw some drone ho- like hovering outside the housing unit at some point, and like you know who knows what, what what's going on. But um, he he just he didn't like it, and so problem reaction. Is this solution. the guy
0: that that ripped a panel off his car or whatever and found a hidden camera? Uh, yeah, he he he
2: um he he did. That's right. He took it out and said he saw he found something that he thought was was a camera and. It could just be a sensor, you know, lets you know something is a filter needs changing. <laughs> He's just taking a smoke yeah, sensor yeah. out. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But um, like it's, it's to the point, I think it's pretty safe to be uh, paranoid to a certain extent. I think so. When you understand the listening devices we carry around with us tailor advertising to us in ways that's just crazy, you know. So um, I, I do think there there are going to be ways that homeless communities are are used um, in in rolling out some of this 15 minute city smart city convenience. But um, again, uh, things sound good, and you have to step back sometimes from what sounds good. You know, too good to be true potentially. But um, the the idea and has been tried out in like uh, Paris and a few other places is just looking at keeping, um, everything you might need within 15 minutes, within a 15 minute walk. Right. Um, and so part of this is to address global climate change. You know, they want you to be afraid, afraid, afraid to give up rights. Essentially cars cars are going to be transitioned out of a lot of these cities. Um, and in, in Missoula, they love their transportation crap. I mean, we have snow just like it's snowing today a lot on the ground and it's been pointed out sometimes by locals i think myself included that you're you're biking utopia you know your multimodal utopia because like these buzzwords drive me insane i go to enough city council meetings and urban planning meetings where i hear all this mixed use multimodal bullshit and it's like watch out um this is a way to slowly get you used to not going very far because they don't want you to go very far. You know, the driving on the interstate might be a thing in the past for people uh, as individuals wanting to have a road trip. Yeah.
0: So the ultimate plan is to keep everybody in these small 50 minute cities and contained. And there's like no travel. It's, it's the big picture is insane. The big picture that they're trying to roll out, which is going to take, you know, years. It's not an overnight or even over five years. It's going to be like 20 years, whatever. But the plan is to keep everybody contained in all these fifteen minute cities nationwide worldwide, right and who knows what it becomes after that you know but well
2: it, it's um it's, it's it's more it's more of a buzzword from the agenda twenty one agenda thirty conservatives right yeah, and so the way that I counter getting sucked into tribalism is I consider myself politically a hyper localist, meaning fuck Democrats and fuck conservatives and Republicans i mean I just I have no patience for national politics at all. Um, I mean, that's, that's how I go smashy road level four by pissing everyone off. And, but it sucks because, um, as a, as a former artist, well, not former artist, I sound like Prince, um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not using a symbol, to like, myself. um, as an artist who formerly felt like he had a support community, huh, uh, and then a pandemic pandemic happened. Right. Um, and I suddenly lost that community because their minds got hijacked by a mind parasite. I went to a lot of churches and was in more direct relation to conservatives and then saw the sort of illness of QAnon and how that is a, the other sort of mind virus on, on that side. And, and all of us getting sucked into LARPs so that we're not actually doing things on the ground. If you're, if you're not talking to people on the ground and, you know, interacting in in a more honest, visceral way, then you're just kind of, you're doing stuff online. That's not going to be very meaningful in the, in the, in the long, long run. But um, yeah,
1: it's interesting that you, uh, that you speak on that because I'm talking to people more and more, these professionals, right? And the issue isn't with um, the money that they're getting from their job because they've been allowed to work uh, and, and maintain their lifestyle from home. It's the not going and meeting up. It's removed the meaning from their job. And they're voicing this, I just want to get back yeah. with people now everything we do is this online meeting here. or I have a two hour meeting of two hour phone call or this and that. So even these things that are quote unquote important, right? Just cease to have any meaning when they're from a distance because we're not going out there. We're not just moving around. And I mean, uh, people, I think people will find out quicker than they think <laughs> they will. Everyone thinks it sounds like a great idea. Oh, you can work from home until you try it for a while. And you're like, Oh fuck, man, I don't know who I am anymore. Even when you do,
2: like, even when you do, um, uh, maybe I'm just cursed to be curious, but um, <laughs> even the, even some of the groups that you might think are grassroots, I'll, I'll give an example, and this kind of, I don't think I actually wrote about this just because I don't want to pick fights with even like like small-scale poets. I mean, like, come on, who the fuck am I? But uh, were, Word Dog, as as I pick a fight with poets, um, <laughs> and, and they're not going to hear this, and if they do, I'm just going to be like, well, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but... Word Dog, the the place I, I'm moving out of today was my last day. Um, technically, I'm, I need to be out by tomorrow, so I'll probably be moving Legos again later today. But there's a suite two performance space, kind of adjacent in the in the basement of this other building. I think it's all owned by the same guy. But Word Dog is a is a poetry slam thing. They do I think every other Tuesday, and I just went to their website and I looked at the website, and um, you know they uh, I think they've gotten some award. But I looked at the, the website and the funding went to this one place and it was the Women's Center on campus. And the Women's Center on campus got some uh, money from the Blackstone launching pad. And so it was like a couple steps removed. But um, when you when you find anything in local media, one of my approaches is just like looking at the organizations, going to their boards, the, finding other organizations they're involved with. And it's also incestuous at this point that like if there's any kind of like money or funding, it has a potential to be tied to some element that's going to have a subtle impact on the stories you can tell and so i'm looking at narrative control i'm looking at how i lost my lease at the zootown arts community center in part because i was criticizing the people that helped them purchase the building and if you're accepting money you're accepting some form of limitation uh jason bermas even actually talked about this somewhat honestly on the union of the unwanted recently about, um, Alan Dershowitz and, and how he had an opportunity to interview Alan Dershowitz on, on one of the places that's paying him money. And he told him straight up, you don't want me being the one asking questions because I can't help myself. And I know you guys have a brand that you need to be aware of. And so, and and this is all very upfront. He's very honest about it. Um, but, uh, that's part of how I have done what I have done is by self-financing and taking resources so that I don't have any limitation I you know for good or ill I get to really define what I'm writing about um you know five six times a week is the pace that I've been keeping my articles coming so
1: and that's that's the best way to do it yeah, yeah. exactly well and and the thing is it's, not like, sustainable as, it's yeah it's the trade-off right and I was just gonna say that the problem is you have to sacrifice one for the other right because the institutions have the institutional backing yeah they have that security they have it in, that's why they're so flippant about it to begin with because they're like ah who's this guy we got the resources we got the people we can we can throw 10 or 11 or 15 people at this situation and by the by the 11th person we'll probably get what we want but you know if you choose to give that up it's more rewarding i think because you start to pull on these threads that Begin to unravel, and you're like, I'm on to something. Well,
2: and it, it's, you know, the,
1: like yeah. I'm making these institutions push back on me. It's
2: and it's the time you know? frame uh, because the the power elite they 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 go on a very long time frame, right? And so, part of what I've been trying to think in terms of what I've done is I've invested in what will be a book. You know, I've got a book that I've written as I drove around, and so I'm, I'm trying to edit Ditch it. it. Now. What's what's the talk And so, uh, narrative control is very important. And uh, I have hard copies of books because I think. We are quickly approaching a, a time where, well, you, you already can't really trust a lot of stuff online, but um, even books like Tracy Twyman's book, Genuflect, there are copies with over a hundred pages now that have been taken out. Woo. And that, that book was already hard to find. It's uh, generally thought of a reason why she, she died. Um, so Tracy Twyman was an occultist researcher who outed a lot of insane stuff. And she died around the time that Isaac Cappy did. Oh, shit. What's um, her name? Tracy Twyman. So she, Tracy Twyman, when it comes to, uh, the TI topic, she, man, she freaked me out. Um, and I, I, there's only a few people that were really trying to understand what happened to her. And, uh, there was a podcaster that doesn't do anything anymore. Um, and, and he, a lot of people stay away from the TI topic because it gets, it gets too freaky. And, um, I've run into locals here that claim to be TIs in ways where um, they're happy to have someone know that they're not crazy, but but Tracy Twyman made some pretty crazy claims before she supposedly hung herself. And Jenny Flex, I've read the book. It is nuts. It is Jenny It Flex. is Archons, uh, some of the most graphic, sort of ritualistic explanation of the Royals in Bloom- a Bloomberg-type character who uh, is basically just doing some crazy shit. Wow. So, yeah. To, to speak on Coop's
1: earlier question, what's the, do you have a title for your yeah, book yeah. that you're writing or you are just curious?
2: My alphabet ends with zoom. Okay. Is the, is the title nice. so far. My
0: alphabet ends with zoom.
2: Yeah. Okay, cool. And, uh and you know, movies and a lot of this stuff like David Lynch, um, we'll definitely get to Kevin Leno, the killer at some point. Cause he's a real killer. Um, but David Lynch is someone I just kind of want to mention quickly because he was born in St. Pat's. So the hospital where Sean, no was shit, patronized. Yeah. So, um, okay. Cause I've watching, I've been watching twin peaks lately, man. How you? Talk about synchronicities. So he, he was, he was, he only spent a few months in Missoula. His family, um, like his dad was involved in government work and they went up to, uh, Northern Idaho. So I think they were up in the kind of, um, Oh, Coeur d'Alene. Lake Ponderain uh, area potentially. Um, some of the details are, are kind of slipping my mind, but it's, it's very interesting because absolutely this like idea of borders and jurisdiction is something that I'm very interested in both as it plays out in reality. Um, and at, as it gets shown on, on film. And so one eye jacks <laughs> feels like it could be, uh, across a border in Canada of some kind, you get into this, like, um black lodge kind of stuff and doppelgangers and it's very much like this metaphysical realm called chapel perilous that robert anton wilson would talk about where you go into this like mes- metaphysical existential crisis of, of sorts and how you come out is how you sort of deal with it either you know agnostic agnostic or, or cynical or 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 crazy i think is another option <laughs> that that robert anton wilson talked about but when um some of the things that I was using in terms of narrative direction for this reality of what I was looking into with Sean is Jim Morrison. So Jim Morrison is a big uh, figure for me because I used him in a work of fiction in 2015 and 2016. Um, Dave McGowan's work is – hold very- on.
0: Are you going to say that his dad was a CIA agent?
2: Well, his dad was an admiral in the Navy and was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, Dave McGowan's work is, is very interesting. Um, I ran across a book written by a guy in Great Falls. It's a weird just work of like fiction where he uh, he has Jim Morrison as being alive and working in a bar outside of Great Falls, uh, Great Falls Montana. And I, I talked to this guy on the phone because I'm like, hey, I wrote about Jim Morrison too you're fucking with some, some shit. He's like, Oh, it was all just fiction. You know, it's no big deal. I'm like, but you had him mm-hmm. disappear in a rock in a portal as some kind of like indigenous, like, you know, it, it's very interesting the way that some of the synchronicities have been, have been popping up. And so I, I use Jim Morrison. Um, And there's a lot of content that I consumed as I was traveling around that helped inform what I was writing about. So like the, the TV show yellow jackets was very interesting to watch in Denver Colorado as I was looking into where Sean was living before coming to Montana. Um, so Sean was homeless in Denver and had a really nice subsidized housing unit set up. And, and I actually didn't know until these last three or four months why Sean moved to Montana in the first place. And, um, and part of what I've been looking into is both my role as like a guy uh, going through a divorce brings up a lot of shit, especially when you're uh, with the same person for 25 years and so I've been thinking about the divine masculine, the divine feminine, and then sort of the flip side of that, the dark masculine and dark feminine, right? Um, this will all, if you, if you want to interject, feel free to, because I'm going to start rambling a bit. But um, the Jim Morrison's girlfriend, uh, Pam Corson, came from Mount Shasta, the California area. So that was one of the places I wanted to visit. Um, I went to LA for the first time and checked out where his last hotel was before he went to Paris. Um, And there were some other elements that I was kind of looking into as well, and David Lynch was was one of them. So part of my thinking, you go to these physical places where people make their claims. David Lynch decided he wanted to go to Philadelphia back in the day um, to get his gritty – urban experience and like he claims in philadelphia that's where he saw violence and people were shot you know close to where he was living it's probably true and uh in uh I, i'm very skeptical now of david lynch um and i'll tell you why for for a good reason in a second but i i go to philadelphia i spent some time in that city um it's where my favorite boutique is where i buy all my kick-ass looking clothes so i look like a rock star hell yeah uh, fake it till you make it <laughs> um, manifest, but, uh, manifest that's all you- <laughs> Yeah, and, and, Philadelphia is intensely crazy. Um, Benjamin Franklin's presence in that city. Um, uh, Ross Ben does a lot of amazing work on Philadelphia, and so that place is like highly charged. Anyways, uh, I went to where David Lynch claimed that he was slumming it, and it's very close to like highly Masonic, you know, architecture. You know, close to the Capitol, um, and I'm just like, David, no, you're not fucking slumming it. This is maybe, maybe you were in a somewhat gritty urban environment, but you're you're not. You're not in some of the places where I mistakenly pulled off and was driving through Philadelphia feeling very white in a nice camper and being like, oh, my God, like, get, get me out of here. Um, and, and part of my concern with David Lynch is Twin Peaks um, involves, you know, obviously the creepy murder of um, Laura Palmer. And in my book collection, I've got a lot of Lynch books. And one of the, the books I have is The Journal of Laura Palmer. A journal? The Journal. Do you know who wrote that journal? Who? So David Lynch had his daughter write it. No way. Are you serious? Yeah, because you know, I mean, I, I I have a little girl. I totally want her to get in the mindset of uh, someone that was raped by her own father. Uh, I'm sorry, Bob the Demon. Um, why in the fuck would David Lynch want his daughter to get in the mindset of Laura Palmer to write a journal? You know, I mean, I almost feel dirty having possession of these some of these books, but um, That's with, with David, really Li- fucking interesting. Hold on, I need to interject this part yeah. because.
0: Last night I was watching Twin Peaks. There's a scene where, because he's the owner of that like brothel thing, whatever, mm-hmm. um, that whoever that guy is, uh, and his daughter is in there and she's like, oh shit, because he doesn't know it's his daughter in this room. And he's like, come on, baby. And she has a mask on and she's like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And she's like, no, don't touch me. And he's like, oh, you turned me on so much. Yep. Come here, you sexy thing. And that's his daughter, even though yep. like, he doesn't know
2: it because he can't see her face. But that's, that's that- it. That reflection, man. A little Lynchian setup, and you know, I just, I don't, I don't have patience for some of this content anymore. Uh, maybe kids are maybe a bit softer, but Fire, Fire Walk with Me. I actually stopped watching that movie because I, I rewatched it somewhat recently, and I had to stop watching it. I'm like, no, Fire no. Watch with Me. Um, Fire Walk with Me is oh, a Fire Walk uh, movie. With yeah, it's a movie off of of the Laura Palmer narrative. Oh, okay. and. But, the the reason why it's very interesting when you start talking about some of this like trauma based mind control stuff and you, you like get into these these realms um you have to start uh like kind of understanding how um i think we're all being sucked into this with you know mass trauma events now yeah and and the brain really doesn't make distinctions between what it sees on screens and what what's happening in reality and so some ways we we really are exposing ourselves to some pretty crazy shit when we're watching some of this stuff and um, you know, I've been telling my kids about Stranger Things and the Montauk background narrative that that informs some of the stuff that they now enjoy, because they're going to watch it whether I want them to or not. And so I want them to at least start thinking critically about it. But um, with with David Lynch and with some of this stuff, it has gotten to the point where uh, I really wonder because um, some of the things I'm looking into involve human trafficking. And just recently, there was a commenter on my blog, Concern Troll. Um, I'd like to know who that person is at some point. But <laughs> yeah, Concern right. Troll put a link on this on this Vice just recently, within the last couple of days, uh, a link to a Vice article about this crazy guy that ran this anti-trafficking group. He's like this Christian guy. And it just it smacks of some of the stuff I'm looking into locally. And it, it really, it, it concerns me. How people with money and and ideologies that that lead them to think they might be doing good are getting sucked into all kinds of fake fuckery, you know, all kinds of weird shit.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you again about what do you have any information on the child trafficking in Missoula, though? Like, how are the motels being used in Missoula specifically? Is that occurring? In Montana,
2: um, everywhere, and it, it's just the, the the way that it's occurring is that people are moved too quickly for law enforcement to ever catch up, and so they're just constantly um, on the move. Wow, okay. yeah, these motels these motels are part of a circuit, and you know, people operate um, a lot of the the homeless like that. I interacted with a lot of them were locals year round homeless folks, but I also understood different populations, and there were the quote unquote transients that would come through in the warmer months. Uh, you would get a sense of some of the people that were potentially having girls that they were controlling. Uh, I mean, you, you would see this stuff to, to a certain extent. Um, and young men and young boys as well. There were some young indigenous guys that, you know, I would hear stories of them being picked up in limos from time to time. Jeez. And uh, one of my, my worries is that some of these remote parts of Montana are being accessed by people with money more and more. Uh, glamping. So you can go up to like, you know, pause Up Ranch and that's a nice, like fancy place to go. For celebrities Um, landing a small plane in in a remote part of Montana is also becoming more popular for people with money. Uh, So it's just what I what I get concerned about with human trafficking and what I know is that uh, the Missoula County Sheriff's Office, right, they have a chaplain by the name of Lowell Hochalter. His lifeguard group um, is family run. He just got twenty grand as a gift from the Gianforte uh, gov- from our governor, so part oh of his salary. Oh wow. um, he got a half million dollars to buy this piece of property in the Bidroot called the Lighthouse at Crooked Tree Ranch. And you know, I don't know what these people are actually up to. Whether or not victims are being helped, I don't know. My sources tell me that they are they are not really doing much um, in terms of what they say they're doing and getting donations for. What is this lifeguard thing? What's that? What's the purpose of him building that ranch or whatever? So from my perspective, a lot of it's political cover for our governor. So our governor, uh, Greg Forte, he's an outsider. Uh, he's not a Montanan. He's a billionaire. Um, so whether or not- Is he from New York? Or uh, New Jersey, I think. Uh, Wright Technologies was the tech company he sold to, to get his money. He also got physically aggressive with the reporter before he was elected. And then Montana was like, yeah, he body slammed that guy. <laughs> yeah. And Montana was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. We're, we don't like the media. They're a bunch of violence. Dogs. Let's bring this guy on. <laughs> yeah. So we elected him. Um, it's, it's hilarious, but uh, you know, they, they um, partnered with town pump, you know, town pump wanted to pretend like they were sort of like creating their, their uh, drivers. And then uh, the beer and wine association and all these guys delivering alcohol were like informally deputized to be like first reporters, you what know? The so they go through this training to identify, you know, what human trafficking looks like. And then they're going to be better positioned to like work with law enforcement. So it's like, I mean, you get donations, you, you have this like fake training, you get a bunch of well-meaning Christians thinking they're like being called by God to go save people. Uh, I've heard that Lowell like back in the day would go to like Super Bowl parking lots, trying to like, you know, find the, sex trafficking victims and save them, you know? So, um, it just, it, it's, it's bizarre, but like the way it starts connecting to crazy shit is you start looking at missing persons, first responders, what happens, what doesn't happen, who people work with, who they don't. And it, it gets very bizarre. So like the lifeguard group, um, did not really help to find Rebecca Barsadi when she went missing, although they made some claims that they did, um, Jermaine Charlo, the indigenous woman that went missing and has um, never been found. The lifeguard group got quickly involved looking for her. Um, Stolen is a podcast you can listen to by Connie Walker. Um, she's an outsider and she came in, you know, gave a detective a ride around, talked to some people. Uh, Lowell Hochalter, the chaplain, again, was on that podcast and he said stuff about how great Jermaine applied makeup. It makes my skin crawl listening to this guy talk. And he talks about information that he shouldn't be sharing. Uh, Montana code annotated details, confidential criminal justice information. And so when Lowell claims that he was in the interview with the suspects and shares information with the, with the reporter, he shouldn't be doing that. That's technically against the law. Um, But when you're working with the law, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Apparently Um, yeah. The stolen podcast is a joke. Um, you can listen to it. I definitely recommend li- people listening to it. You can hear how Detective Guy Baker, um, someone I'm very interested in, um, decides the FBI dogs or the dogs to go search the property of the ex-boyfriend instead of the Missoula County Sheriff's dogs. Well, it took four months to get the FBI dogs out there. When the sheriff dogs could have been out there a little bit quicker. So when you find bloody clothes and it's been four months, it's inadmissible. Unreal. Nice controlling of the timeline there, Detective Baker. What a
1: fucking idiot, man.
2: Idiot or uh, something else. I also sat oh, yeah. I uh, I sat in a murder trial. So Lee Nelson is a well-known homeless man. He was uh bludgeoned to death in broad daylight on November twentieth, 2020. And I spent the first two weeks um, of was it this year? I think it was this year, yeah, in the murder trial of Charles Covey. And I watched the public defenders of Charles Covey essentially put Detective Guy Baker on the stand because he ran such a shitty investigation. Um, he directed it towards someone, but by doing that, he directed it away from others. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting what, what might be uh, happening. But um, with, with Missing Persons and Jermaine Charlotte, I actually i have had some success in being a, a thorn in the side of people that just do things, I think, to shut me up. Uh my kids school, for example, Target Range, um, they used to play the Stolen podcast, and kids the my oldest, this was I think he was in sixth or seventh grade. Um, can't remember the specific grade, but um listen to it and then you kind of like get to like, you know, figure out for yourself, ask some questions about it. And I think they even had Detective Guy Baker and Or Lowell there as part of like a talking to the kids uh in previous um showing of the or playing of the podcast. And so I, I talked to some administrators and I said, Hey. Um, if you guys do that again, cause I have some kids coming up and t- they're going to get to that grade. I'm like, if you want to have a panel, you should have me alongside detective guy Baker and Lowell Hoekhalter. And then we'll have a real fun conversation about the Jermaine Charlotte case. Exactly. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what, what kind of awkward situations can be created. Um, <laughs> so they, so they, don't, just- they don't play that podcast anymore, uh, for the kids at target range. And I've gone to the university of Montana I've chatted with the the director of the Native American department. I'm just like, listen to that podcast again and listen to how Lowell talks about makeup and Jermaine's face and tell me how you feel in your stomach, you know? Um, And I just want to throw some
0: some statistics really quick. So I was looking, um, so currently in Montana, there are 170 missing people in Montana's missing persons database. 109 of them have been missing for longer than one year. 61 for less than a year, and 45 of them are indigenous
2: people. So I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. Um, Let me pop over to Sean's case really quickly, because um, what I didn't know, you know, when I first started covering his case and looking into it, I mentioned I didn't know why he went to Montana. He was following an indigenous woman, a girlfriend. Okay, so uh, he, and he didn't come to Missoula to be homeless. He came uh, to the Flathead area to enact what he wanted to do, which is because he had been taking some business classes, accounting classes. He uh, wanted to open a restaurant or work in you know the food industry somehow, food truck maybe. So he had a girlfriend who was indigenous. Um, the girl, the girlfriend, had a young girl, I think, a daughter. And so and Sean had a daughter um, in Denver who turned 18, graduated high school. And that's one of the reasons why he left is because now that she had graduated, you know, he kind of was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so when uh, when the family told me this, when I learned this for the first time this summer, uh, I was like, OK, my, my gut feeling was that Sean came to the flathead. Uh, he was on the res and he saw something. Like he saw something that was operating on on the res level that impacted not just his girlfriend but maybe that that little girl and Sean was not the kind of person I've come to understand that would keep his mouth shut about it. Um, like he, he wouldn't he wouldn't turn his back on something and so he ended up at the homeless shelter and he was working at Sun Mountain sports. they make golf bags. I actually worked there briefly many, many years ago. But, uh, you know, I went and talked to the manager uh, who was quoted in some of the articles at the time and, and he was telling me that Sean would get there on time, even if he was hung over. And, you know, I, I, just got a sense of who Sean was as a person and I'm, I'm firmly convinced that, um, that he knew or saw something and mouthed off or said something to the wrong person and made himself a target. But, um, what's happening on the reservations in Montana is so fucking awful uh there was a Showtime documentary. Cheryl Horn, I think, was one of the people interviewed in that. Um they, I think if that's the person I was thinking of, she was given a, a job at the state level, and I think she may have left that job because they're so clever at narrative control. Uh you might get a job, and that might be how they actually lure you into something that um will, will limit what you can do. Um and so the the situation in Montana is is really it's, it's awful. It's deplorable. And up in uh, Flathead, so so Flathead County, the sheriff's office or was the county commissioners have pulled out of some kind of um, public funding of uh, reservation courts, I believe. Um, it, it you know there there might be some things I'm I'm slightly mistaken on, but uh, when you look at Western Montana, uh, there's a lot of weird, crazy stuff that that's going on, and it impacts the ability to to have a actual criminal justice system. I mean, if you don't have investigators, you can't, you can't do much. Right. And so, and, and people are smart. They know what they can get, get away with. One of the reasons I left my job at the Pavarello center and I left it way back in 2015, uh, 2016, It it was like, uh, February of 2016, I think is when I left. It's because people on the streets, um, when I would, uh, have, Challenging interactions, and I would need to potentially uh, have law enforcement back me up. There were times where I would be like, you know, hey, if this keeps on happening, you know, by this business, they're going to call nine one one, or I might have to call nine one one. And I increasingly got responses like, "Go ahead, Travis. They're not going to do anything. The jail doesn't want us. The ER doesn't want us." And they were right. And I, I mean, I was, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on on Sam's show that like this sense of anarchy was was starting to develop back then. And uh, you know, it's just like the. <laughs> the veneer of on the surface of having a functioning criminal justice system is there for the tourists and it's there for the college students and it's there for people to think that like it still exists right um but it's it it, it doesn't exist like and you don't yeah. have to go very far now to scrape behind the the scenes and see all this crazy crazy stuff and something
1: you touched on in your articles and you know something i've been thinking is it's it's just like nature you know like the predators are going to go in the areas where they can be the most successful. And there's the exact same situation that's been building in Montana for a long time. Like people are going to test and push boundaries. You start to get a feel and a sense um, as a, you know, if you were to come in as, as someone who wanted to be successful as a predator, that this is a good place to be. This is a good place to set up shop. There's a lot of workarounds. There's a lot of space yep. in between areas where there's humans so there there's a lot less oversight just in general. And the oversight you do get is totally focused in the wrong direction because it's all focused on the business corporate in. like corporate, the prison corporate, system corporate is a thing. joke. Yep. The, it, yeah. And and so like here I am thinking, well, yeah, we're it. more and more people are just going to be stacking up this region. I went to city so council. Frustrated. Oh, go ahead.
2: Well, I was just going to point out, uh, I, I went to city council recently and this is, um, part of my kind of legal issues, but, um, I wanted to go in person so that I could show the book by John Coston called To Kill and Kill Again. So back in the 70s, I think it's Wayne Nance was our ser- serial killer. And Wayne oh. Nance um, was able to uh, get, get away with stuff because um, sheriff's offices were not sharing information. So uh, Hamilton um, or somewhere down in Ravalli County, I think, is a few of his kills. And it ended up being a citizen, ended up killing Wayne Nance. And so like he was never caught. He was he was killed. And they were never able to, to figure out how many kills he actually had. Um, I, I, I was bringing the book, though, because I wanted to tell city council that uh, we potentially had a similar situation where when I talk to some of my private security contacts, they're telling me they think there's a serial killer. And there are multiple bodies that um, I haven't written about uh, because I don't know if it's safe to. Um, but some of the people I'm talking to are like, and none of these are making headlines, None of them are making headlines, but um, you know one of the one of the young men that went missing. Yeah, well, Joey Thompson. Joey Thompson went missing um, in April of this year, and then he showed up dead in Mineral County in the Clark Fork River. So the same river where Rebecca Barsati was found dead.
1: Spooky. Um,
2: Joey Thompson has gotten the attention of the smiley face people that are uh, wow the, the the researchers. So some of yeah, the researchers yeah. that are looking. At the pattern of young men that go missing and then show up dead in water, um, Joy Thompson kind of fit some of that those pattern, you know, check marks. Right?
0: Was there a smiley face nearby?
2: Well, Is I've been looking at wrong? graffiti. I've been taking pictures of graffiti. Um, I talked to to law enforcement, um, asking him if he knew what panda eyes meant, and he didn't. And I'm like, well. Uh, are you ready for a stomach-churning description? And he's like, eh. <laughs> "Oh man!" So, um, but I'm like, "You're—I shouldn't be telling you this. You should be no. aware of this shit, you know." Because graffiti is language, okay? And, and I'm looking at this language, like symbolism, actual words, you know. And and so there was no smiley face found in the vicinity necessarily, but I I don't know where Joey was actually found. He was found by a, pro, a private landowner. Somewhere in Mineral County, I've walked the stretches of Clark Fork River um, where he supposedly was found between the Tarkio um, boat put in and I think Pine Grove or Pine something put in, and I don't even know where where he was actually found. He went missing in Missoula County in the same area where Johnny Lee Perry was shot, um, and that was April 11th. And I pretty much and he was a homeless guy as well. No, so Joey was 18. Uh, he was he was a young guy, um, but I pretty much know. Um, I, I suspect I know how he died uh, and I have both Missoula County and mineral County refused to call me back. And it's, it's tied to the homeless industrial complex. Um, there's the son of someone of a woman who works at one of the homeless prog- in one of the homeless programs that may be involved. Um, I think he is. Uh, there's also a young guy who's in his mid twenties who after uh, Joey went missing, shaved his head, deleted a bunch of Instagram posts and then went to superior Montana um, and I have multiple sources that tell me he's selling guns to teenagers, including a woman who I'm friends with because of a higher side chat meetup that I had. Oh so God, because dude. of synchronicities, I, I met this, uh, this great, great woman who's, a she has kids kind of my age and we we both went through a divorce, but, um, she has a 16 year old kid. And before I went on my little road trip, I was talking to her and she's like, Travis, my kid just bought a gun. You know, I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, he's working at this fast food place with a bunch of ex-cons. There's a homeless camp behind it, so he's probably scared. What the fuck? And uh, and so I gave I gave her the name. I'm like, ask him if it was this guy that did it. And a few days later, she texts me. She's like, Travis, his face went white. Woo!
0: You're on to something. How did mom know that he Damn. Name?
2: me the gun. And it's uh, it's because um, people tell me stuff. Like I've talked to multiple people. They were like, oh yeah, and then, you know, Joey was drunk at the bonfire out at uh, Deep Creek area. Um, was going on a beer run with these two guys didn't didn't put money up there may have been a girl involved that he was like you know getting getting friendly with and so you know he was cold clocked or something left out there um these two guys go back to the bonfire for 10 minutes disappear but then they leave again everyone hears gunshots you know uh, like a few minutes after that and he shows up in the river um of course the cops are saying there was no bullet holes in him or anything but um, it's, it's completely insane.
1: And, uh, because it's so convenient when the coroner is the sheriff, yeah. I'm not saying that exactly. situa- it's two but- counties.
2: <laughs> so he went disappearing in Missoula and then he showed up in Mineral County. And so I, I, um, Ryan Funk, the sheriff, I talked to him in person about this case. Cause I was, at, I go to Mineral County every once in a while to, to do my little public comment thing for them. Cause I'm so much fun. I just want to share the, share <laughs> the story. um, and, uh, but I talked to Ryan directly. I'm just like, where was he found? He's like, you need to talk to Missoula. Um, they're the one, they're the jurisdiction. investigating it. I'm like, mm. I've left messages and they won't call me back.
0: Oh, and really, so, was that, was that even publicized in the newspapers at all? Was that even reported on?
2: Yeah. No, Joey, Joey's, um, Joey's death. His missing. He went missing and then showing up dead was publicized. And that's why some okay. of the smiley face researchers, uh, uh, caught wind of it. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. The whole smiley face thing I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've done enough research with the occult and I understand how in some ways symbols can be charged in, and you know, like sigils and in some of this sort of, some of this magical working stuff that, um, I does have an impact because we have powerful consciousnesses and we can direct our will in certain ways. So yeah. I believe that there is an impact when people are doing this stuff. And Now that uh, media has charged the smiley face enough with, you know, comic books and all this, all all these things, it's a, it's a self-perpetuating phenomenon now. And so it doesn't have to be directly part of a, a cell that might be operating in an area. Um, I think there are ritualistic killings associated with the smiley face cult, but it is, it's it's become like its own thing now because there's even a, a fictional movie about it. That uh, I was trying to get William Ramsey to take more seriously, but he thinks it's uh, not worth taking seriously. But um, yeah, that's
0: the problem I, when I you're do. fictionalizing these things, making them well, making making them a joke, really. Well, and
2: this is this and this is the thing. So psychopaths, okay. When we think about the psychopath class and like and how they operate, um, I mean, it, it starts making a lot of sense because whether you believe they have to sort of for karmic reasons telegraph what they're going to do with predictive programming they might just like for the lulls like to like throw it in your face. I mean, it might just be shits and giggles by psychopaths, like getting off on, on telegraphing what they're doing, but um, there, there's enough of it that's happening now. And we are watching and consuming and potentially participating in some of the stuff if we're not aware of it. And so, you know, my, my travels um, really opened up my eyes because I physically went to some of these places and, you know, the synchronicity has helped to direct some of the things that I was thinking about. And the smiley face stuff, I'm convinced there is something that has to do with water and spiritually polluting water for some effect that's that's happening um and water has been fucking with me for months now.
0: Well, we need to get to Kevin Leno. I want to talk about Kevin Leno because you brought him up, and we haven't finished out with him yet, so let's talk about Kevin Leno
2: oh, okay, yes, yeah, so, so um I'll, I'll kind of summarize this as as quickly as I can um because the the role that I had was beneficial for law enforcement because I worked at the Pavarella Center and I I knew the Reserve Street area. Um, I had actually had this guy that was, uh, I could talk forever about his particular situation, but um, God told him to go live out there and he ended up having a medical situation and has a a person who is his payee who would give him his money on a consistent basis. And so because she didn't want to go out to the homeless camps, I offered to hand deliver the, the money. To this guy. And so for me, it was a chance to get the money out to him and help him. But also, I would go and talk to other people living out in that area. And so on this day, when a um, a body was found in the river out in this area, I was trying to go to deliver the money. And I ended up getting stopped by some people that were behind one of the stores along Mullen Road as you're kind of going towards Reserve Street. And one of them was the girlfriend of uh, Barry, uh, Gilbert Barry. I can't remember his full name. Jack Gilbert. Gilbert Barry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, The the person who had just been found. And so um, the woman was able to give me specific information about like cigarettes being put out on him and something being carved into him and uh, details that I took some notes on, wrote up a little report when I got back to the homeless shelter and hand delivered it to the sheriff. And that helped them kind of confirm who this person was, and it was the, the situation with that was just kind of insane because um, you know, I, I worked closely with law enforcement, and I knew enough people on the street that there were, I think, three different chances for them to catch Kevin Lino in Missoula, and they failed to catch him. Like the downtown police officer I spoke directly with um had been told that this guy, Kevin Lino, was at Qantas Park beating one of his pit bulls, and he didn't want to do anything about it. He thought it was just hearsay. Um, another homeless guy knew the apartment that Kevin Lino's friend was like letting him hide out in and the cops didn't take him seriously. And the woman that worked at the bus station saw their vehicle before they hit the road. And so, um, this really kind of freaked me out a bit because I found out later as I was talking to the girlfriend that one of Kevin's, uh, friends, cause he was sort of like, the he was the oldest guy with a bunch of street kids, um, almost like running this little street gang, right? And so one of his little uh, stay behind street punks was listening to me, and I was worried that like I had been identified as giving information to law enforcement, and so wow. and that he still had people in town, and I was already on going on vacation, right, uh, to Colorado Springs, which could, you could have your own episode on just that place. But um, <laughs> I decided to leave a few days earlier. I found out from the director of the POV at the time who had a FBI friend that Kevin Leno took the same highway I did 25 and he was ticketed in Castle Rock near Colorado Springs around the same time I was in that area. Oh, oh my and, uh, gosh. He, he was ticketed, but they didn't know who, who he had. So he was traveling with Monty who has also since gone missing and is pr- presumed dead. Oh my God. Um, and Angela was the girl in the wheelchair. And I think a second person, uh, I think there's three or four people, Right. But he, the, this crew ended up making it all the way to Louisiana before Kevin Lino was finally arrested. Um, he was he was convicted, and I think he's in a, a prison in, in Massachusetts now. Um, you know, but that was like one of several kind of serious situations. You know, legally that I got involved with because you know the, the homeless shelters are uh, potential pass throughs for for people that are on the run from other states. You know, um, easily. There's definitely. That kind of crazy stuff that, that happens, but so you spoke you spoke to the FBI directly about Kevin Lima. No, no, my my director uh, of the PAW her name is Erin. She's now in a high level city position um, because she knows uh, when to say stuff and when not to say stuff. Unlike me, but Erin's uh, Erin's <laughs> no friend was a she. She knew the FBI agent that uh, in the region that was involved, and so that's how she was able to tell me, "Be careful," because you knew I was worried about it, and like they had been ticketed you know, right, right there, um, in that area. And I actually, I talked to some people flying a sign out in, I think it was Manitou Springs. And I asked them if, if the cop presence had been heavy and they said, Oh yeah, there's, you know, police like going, you know, tent to tent asking, asking around about these people.
1: Damn. I would say so that's was, that was a crazy. near miss. You know what I, <laughs> I would, I would go. So I would go Dude, that He was chasing yeah. you, man. Woo.
2: Yeah. Well now now that um now that we're gonna get Jesus involved really quickly here at the end, um, it's okay because I think that I got some spiritual protection. Um and that's in part because Jesus comes into this synchronicity, which I, I think is the biggest synchronicity ever. Um Greg Carlwood at the Higher Side Chat, man, I am such a I'm such an idiot sometimes. I I was a little too confident in trying to get his attention and uh I, I was talking some shit on Christopher Knowles, I think, and so Ooh. I ended up losing that opportunity, but um, if you guys want to hear really quickly, I'll tell you about the synchronicity. Yeah, go ahead. Because, yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So Sean uh, was assaulted and, and put into a coma. Essentially, he was rendered unconscious. Um, and so, because he was, he was still on life support when he was in the hospital. But I get a text message from Sean's sister. Uh, it was probably maybe a year um, after after Sean died, and they're like, "Travis, watch the movie Dogma as soon as you can. Watch the movie Dogma." I'm like, oh, "Okay, I'll try." And, uh, and I knew a little bit about the family's role in this movie. Um, so Sean's dad actually owned the church in Pittsburgh where, uh, dogma had some scenes filmed. And, and so that's why there's a picture of Sean and Selma Hayek and Sean and Jeanine Garofalo and stuff. And I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why there's some like famous people next to like this, like, you know, guy that, you know, became homeless in in Montana and, and died up here. And so, um, but the reason why they watched the movie, Sean Sean's family rewatched this movie is because Chris Rock was slapped by Will Smith, okay? And for some reason they're like, "Oh, we should watch movie Dogma again because you know, mom and dad like really involved when the movie was being filmed. Kevin Smith had a hard time finding a a church that would allow him to, you know, bring in buddy Christ and George Carlin and all this stuff. And, (laughs) and so um, they decided to watch the movie and the, the synchronicity happens like 10 minutes in, right? So in the church that's supposed to be in Chicago, but it's in Pittsburgh. um, And this is after the opening of the movie where God incarnates as a homeless man and is put into a coma. Uh, by three kids with the hockey sticks. Okay. So, um, 10 minutes in the pastor is talking about the situation where a homeless man is in a coma. And Mm. as he is saying homeless man in a coma, the camera is, goes over people in the church and Sean's parents are in the pew in the church as the camera is like on their faces. Okay. As what happens to their child 20 years in the future is like foretold. Okay. Okay in this fucking movie that's fucking and so it's like i think it's like the craziest weirdest synchronicity right the movie is about jesus sean's dad has a book about the shroud of turin sean's dad has worked on the shroud of turin jesus's blanket is like you know right um and so like the more that you know about like sean's family and like what sean's dad did to like literally at one point um because after after almost dying in the skies over Vietnam when a missile locked onto his plane and then bounced off. Uh, he uh, had a private sector job with IBM Whoa. and he uh, took some uh, fellow Christian guy up into the plane with them at one point, And they were, they were trying to sprinkle uh, holy water in the mountains to take it back from Aleister Crowley. Cause uh, oh, Sean's dad shit. is familiar with Aleister Crowley. So he was like, uh, at one point he, he told some masons he wasn't going to use a Mason Bible um, to do shit in his church.
1: What uh
2: and so like Sean's dad is like this badass like his his whole family like are are badasses and this synchronicity I think shows that Jesus is a little pissed off uh that black men can be uh euthanized and executed in Missoula, Montana um so I'm just a I'm the humble vessel you know that gets to be a part of telling the story uh because really like When I realized at this level that like things were kind of swirling around, I'm just like, "What is
1: this?
2: (laughs) What is this world that we're living in?" Um, It's a crazy one, but it's it's one that insane. It's one that like synchronicities are a they're a language, and I think a lot of people are experiencing more of them. If you're waking up to some of this stuff, I think I think people are having a lot of these types of experiences. And luckily, Sean's sister is my synchronicity buddy. Um, We help keep each other balanced because she's having really crazy synchronicities. And, you know, that's a lot of what the book I wrote is is focused on, is, is what these things are directing us and making us think about. So
0: I often wonder, because Scott, I've told you, I see 58 everywhere. I'll look at the clock, it'll be whatever, 58. I'll, see, I'll look at a license plate, 58. eight. I'll Man, it's crazy. Synchronicities are everywhere. When I'm doing yep. research, I have something playing on TV, whatever, and I'll be typing a sentence, and like right when I'm like, Right when I say situation or whatever, I'm typing situation. Someone on the TV is saying situation at yep. the same time. That happens all the time. And I'm like, yep. what the hell is happening? Yep. I went on Reddit and I was talking to numerologists. I'm like, why do I see 58? Why am I having all these synchronicities? And they're telling me, well, 58, um, it's all five and eight. They're both very holy numbers together. You know, 13, I don't know. They're telling me this is, Tech, they're saying angels are trying to reach out because they're telling me you're on the right track. You're doing something right. Keep going in that direction. Or the spirits yep. are trying to talk to you. So listen. And I'm like, you know yep. what? I have nothing else you know, to think about other than I firmly believe that. Uh, I, I firmly yep. believe what you're saying. It's a language that yep. w- most people don't listen to. They don't see it. They just ignore it. Because I think throughout history, our government has controlled us to such a level that we don't even think about things other than what they're telling us. Yeah.
1: That's what I was just going to say was the the issue is that people aren't thinking anymore. They're going off of what they're being told. They're doing the same role exactly. day after day after day, sort of like a rinse and repeat situation. And I know it sounds cliche, but you have to, you know, when you're thinking outside the box you start making the connections and you start picking up signals from things that other people miss because they're so just eyes full. It's no
0: joke, man. I think we're getting pushed to like a goldfish memory. Everything's like... Three second clips on TikTok or whatever you know, and people yep. are using yep. that and like this is this is my entertainment and my education at the same time. Exactly. So it's like
2: these three second cycles, and it's on to the next thing and on to the next thing. Well, find a buddy, find a synchronicity buddy because um, synchronicities really can destabilize and disorient people. Um, I think it was Nick Hinton that kind of hinted at um, a period where stuff was like clustering and swarming with synchronicities, and it can it can it can really spin you out. And so. I'm lucky enough to have some people that help me stay one foot, you know, not in crazy town um, because it it really can make you question some stuff at a pretty serious level. And yeah, man. um,
0: And and you mentioned like, you you don't know if they're warnings or if they're telling you something. So that's the same for me. When I Mm -hmm. see something these days, like 58, I'm like, is this a fucking, what? Cause
2: I get anxiety. And I'm like, what the hell, man? Why am I getting anxiety about 58? My kid, my, my kid, when you. he was about a year and a half or two years old was obsessed with the number 44. I mean, he, we literally had to like put tape on the oven clock because he would get so distracted <laughs> waiting for it to get to 44 and then stand up in his little high chair and point and, and say 44 and 44. I mean, it was very bizarre. And I just went from uh, my 44th year to my 45th. And so I was always kind of like, my, before my se- se- september birthday i'm like i need to get to 45 because maybe this kid is foretelling oh my, my death God. year or some shit
1: yeah
0: um, <laughs> that's what i'm always worried about that's what i'm always worried about is 58 my death year is that what they're <laughs> telling me like hurry up complete all
1: your
2: well, shit and, and, and i try not to I, I always interrogate my fear reactions because i i really try and limit um you know responding in fear and uh, like looking into 44 uh, I think it was Mark Twain. Um, had one of his last stories. There was actually a character named Forty Four. It was very Whoa. weird. And, and so, um, people use synchronicities in uh, really, I think, good ways to direct their personal development. And it, for the most part, I hear positive feedback. But um, I think there's a lot more work to be done to to put some of those uh, guardrails on for for some because when they happen in a in a storm kind of sense, where you're getting so many of them. I mean, I've been at points where I'm like, "Can I turn this off?" You know, I want to actually turn this off for a while so I can just like get a breather, you know, catch my breath, kind of stuff. So,
1: well, I commend you. uh, I commend you on the sobriety in that sense. Yes, both of us. Both of us are sober as well. Yeah, it's like seven years. And I know, awesome. Yeah, eight years for me. And I know that my life started going like this because I stopped numbing my, I stopped blurring out my reality. You know what I mean? And it's allowed me the space to have other thoughts besides what's in front of me on my phone or what I, you know, what someone else is telling me. And, and it leads to situations like this where we can get together and we can share these ideas. And I think that's really important about what we're doing. So on that note, thanks a lot for giving us your time and your expertise. And I would love to have you back on in the future. I think that'd be great. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Cause even, even the way I became, um, not a, a box <laughs> line guzzler, um, has, has to do with sort
1: of synchronicities and,
2: um, and Sean, Sean struggled with alcohol and so did our mayor. And so one of the things that actually ties all three of us three of us together is the role of alcohol. And so I'm uh, I'm blessed that I've been able to step aside from being a just constant box wine guzzler and becoming that cliche of like having to be the tortured artist, mm. you know, with that nozzle. I've just been like, there. The tortured oh.
0: artist, man. So, I've been there. I'm an artist too. And Scott, we're both musicians as well. And yeah. Awesome.
1: Synchronicities.
2: Yeah. Well, let's do this again sometime. <laughs> if uh at an undisclosed location, I might be in a bunker or something. You know, I'm acting all. Uh, <laughs> Fuck,
1: dude. But
2: yeah, yeah.
0: I'm willing to travel to a bunker. I would love to do a show in a bunker. That'd be awesome.
1: Absolutely. Well, we'll reach out to you, and for our listeners, just thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, this has been kind of a different episode than what we normally do, but it's been a fantastic episode, and that we're sharing. We're all sharing yeah, this some is truth. This and is thank you to Travis for stopping by. Make sure you uh, thank you like, share, and subscribe us wherever you consume your podcasts. Feel free to email us at Paranautica at gmail.com and just make sure you're stopping by for these these nuggets of reality because we'll be here to give you a dose from cool. time to Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And Travis Matier, why don't you go ahead? Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'll still be
2: updating Zoom Cron. That's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N. Uh, I'm old enough that I have a Yahoo email account. So I'm still uh, Will Willskink, uh, W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at Yahoo. Um, and those are the, the quickest ways to check out my content and to get in contact with me. Things might be changing a bit though, as I get on the road, but um, I will still be having a presence online in some capacity. So awesome.
1: awesome. Travis, well, thank Travis, you so much. Thanks man. a lot for being here. Coop yeah. as always. Great job, man. Thanks Scott. for being here. And thanks, I'm going to go ahead and thank myself for being here as well. <laughs> pat yourself but on the back. I'm going <laughs> to pat myself on the back real quick, <laughs> but yeah. Thank you guys. And tune in, tune in next week for another episode, of the Paranautica Absolutely. podcast. Thanks everyone. Thank you